welcome to episode 46 of Random Encounter, the RPG fan podcast. This is the big E3 spectacular whoop-de-doo show, even though there really wasn't a lot to talk about at E3. Anywho, I'm your host, Robert Steinman, Pale Robbie on the boards. Joining me today, we have the... Uh, Steven, I can't even think of a good introduction for you. I'm not tired. Here's an introduction for me. I am better together. Oh, goodness. Was that a... Re- Were you making fun of Reggie? I was making fun of Reggie. I am Steven Talis on the boards. Oh, boy. And uh, Steven got to go to E3 along with two other esteemed gentlemen who are joining us today. We have the man, the Witcher lover, the big man on campus. All you know about me, Rob. (laughs) Yeah, that's all I know about you is you just love the Witcher and Dark Souls. Kyle E. Miller. And we also have welcoming back from earlier in the podcast and the indie lover in us all. We have... Neil Chandron Dincrest on the boards. Okay, so I'm jealous of all of you bastards because you got to go to E3 while I sat at home on boring faculty meetings and got to watch the Rob, abs- What? We kept talking about how we couldn't wait to have you at E3 next year. Oh, come on. I I would be terrible at E3. Well, yeah, you would, but it would be awesome. No, no, like, no. I, I would, would ask John playing give- constantly. <laughs> That's why I want to go to an appointment with you. Well, here's my game. You'd be like, why does it look like crap? <laughs> you guys think you, do you, you'd see an MMO. You'd be like, do you guys think you're done? Because you're definitely not. <laughs> no, I, I mean, it, it was a very interesting E3 to watch just from home. Just a, just a quick aside. Was, you know, all I got to see were the, uh, were the press conferences, which bored me to tears, except The Last of Us did look awesome. I will say that. Good job, Naughty Dog. Um, and then I got to see like all the, the videos online, you know, game trailers, joystick, you know, all of the different uh, trailers for like Dishonored and other stuff and the, seeing the same builds over and over again. And the big thing that I was really struck by for E3 – And I didn't realize it until I started looking at our own coverage and realizing, oh, my God, maybe our site's going to do some coverage. I was sitting there going, I didn't see any RPGs. And then I looked on our coverage, and I was like, oh, no, 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 no. There were a lot of RPGs at E3. They were just back behind closed doors or not being talked about during press conferences. But there was a lot of stuff, apparently. And that's the thing. They – like – if I had just been home watching the conferences and checking out the spotty coverage, you know, from other places, I would have been like, wow, this E3 kind of sucked. But having been there, like, I'm all excited about, like, a bunch of games I didn't even know were coming. Like, Same that here. was like, I mean, there were other games, you know, big, there were great AAA games, but there were a lot of games that, like, maybe don't get as much uh, attention, especially by bigger sites that I was really glad we covered because they look awesome. Yeah, I mean, and there are some that I think, are just as good as the marquee titles. Like I'm sure Kyle will back me up on this one. Dust and an Elysian Tale coming out soon on XBLA. If if I hadn't known it was from an independent developer, I would have thought it was the next Vanillaware game because it was that freaking good. Yeah, I think that's my that's my top pick of the show. I think, and it was surprising. I had seen one preview. I think it was on our site. One preview for it, and you know it looked kind of interesting. But when I played it, it was it was phenomenal. Okay, so tell me a little bit about Dust because I did not see anything on this game. It's a 2D action RPG, <clears throat> um, side-scrolling action RPG, with levels, exp- um, experience. There's equipment. There are multiple paths 
and but the most the best thing about it is the combat which to me it was like i hardly touched the ground when fighting enemies the main character just has this amazing ability to stay in the air and you can just do all kinds of crazy attacks and special attacks and i kept finding new and more interesting ways to kill enemies and it was just ridiculously fun and there was like and yeah and the control was super fluid there was like and even when there was a ton of stuff happening i didn't experience any slowdown yeah it ran really well controls were tight i mean it just it looked fantastic and i'm most excited about that i think out of anything even though it's just a little indie game what's the platform for it it's what it's part of the summer arcade series is that for a Xbox? Oh, that's an Xbox thing. Okay, okay. Yeah. So, that, so that means we might maybe see it on PC at some point because I know a lot of those yeah. titles end up coming over. Probably eventually. Okay, okay. All right, so that's Dust. Uh, what else really struck you guys about E3? Like, you know, let, let's just rapid fire these games. You know, we didn't have a Mass Effect or a Skyrim or Deus Ex to go. Uh, Steven's sitting here begging and pleading to talk about something, and he put a freaking smiley face on Skype. What is it, Steven? I didn't beg and plead. I was just trying to help plan. Where can I go? <laughs> well, uh, it's an uh, appointment, and we covered uh, two graphic adventures that we literally knew nothing about because uh, this is the company that made The Whispered World, and awesome, uh, that was a pretty rad game. But uh, one of the games we saw, they both look cool, but the one I'm in particular most excited about is The Dark Eye, Chains of Satanov. Um They're a German developer, and the game is apparently out in Germany already. But um, it'll be out June 22nd on Steam. And the first thing Neil and I noticed is that the game is completely hand-drawn, and it looks freaking amazing. Like, just everything, even your characters, There's no. it's not like a lot of games where they do these really lush backgrounds and these horrible-looking 3D character models. Like, the characters themselves are, are hand-drawn and animated. Now, the off, you know, to offset that, the animations for the characters are a little bit rough here and there. Like, kind of things, like, sort of transition weirdly. But the backgrounds are so well animated that you just, it, it's just amazing to look at. And the game itself, you know, it's, you know, point and click adventure that, you know, uh, the dialogue was pretty sharp. Um, it was translated. Well, uh, we laughed at a couple of times. The main character is pretty snarky and, um, some of the puzzles they showed us were really cool. And, uh, what's cool is half is at a certain point in the game, the main character who has like this telekinetic, telekinetic ability to blow stuff up from far away, which is used in puzzles, you meet up with a girl who starts following you, and she has the power, like, she has magic that can repair stuff. So in addition to, like, inventory puzzles and the sort of things you see in those games a lot, you also get those two abilities. And we were shown one puzzle where the protagonist was chained up inside a room and about to die, where and the two characters had to work together to solve a puzzle to basically free him. And it just, it looked like, if, if you're into that genre, it really is something you should be, like, having your eyes on, because I'm amazed just at just how great every aspect of it looked. Hmm. Yeah, I really enjoyed Whispered World, so I'm I didn't get to see those games personally, but I'm I'm pretty excited for them too. Cool. Cool. Uh so now Steven, I have a question for you. Yes. Because I got conflicting information. Yeah. Cuz uh, I I think I, I know what you're going to say. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, it's it's coming here. So I get this wonderful preview from Steven and uh this awesome text message during E3 that sends my heart a flutter where Steven where Steven says that 
Dark Souls on PC will run at 60 frames per second, and Blight Town has been fixed. And I was, I, it was like it was as if a a flock of butterflies had come in, a crown around my head. If anybody gets the TV show reference I'm making right now, I will be really, really proud of you. Please send messages to RPG Fan. Um, and I was very, very excited. And then you broke my heart. Well, I can't say I broke your heart. Unless I was outright lied to, uh, I believe I was with Dave. And I went to the Dark Souls booth. I started watching it. And I started talking to the guy. And I said, you know, this and that, the new content, you know, and everything that I wrote in my preview. And then I said, how about the frame rate? I go, I heard it was a pretty bare bones port. He said, Blight Town is fixed. That was verbatim what he said. He said, Blight Town is fixed. So unless he was feeding me blatantly inaccurate information, which I suppose is possible, uh, I was told that the frame rate in the PC version will be fixed. You're not going to see like, you know, really elaborate tweaks and sliders to make the game look better. You won't see higher res textures, but I was told that you can run it up to 1080p resolution, you know, 1920 by 1080 and that blight time would be fixed if your PC could handle it. Uh, And then like literally my preview went up and then the next day the developers were like, yeah, we don't know what we're doing and we're pretty sure it's still going to suck. Yeah. That, frustrated me a little bit i mean I'm, I'm trying to take that with a grain of salt because if you remember last year when we did the e3 show we didn't really know a lot about dark souls i mean a lot was still i, I apologize to all the listeners for my cats and the constant bell ringing that goes on my apartment i'm i'm sorry for that um but if you remember like during e3 last year we didn't really know a lot about dark souls and there was a lot of conflicting information going out there about whether or not there were going to be character classes how the magic system was going to be handled nobody knew what the hell humanity was so I, i'm trying to take that with a grain of salt but that has me a little bit nervous about this port it seems like they still can't figure out if it's going to be games for windows live or not uh i don't know but definitely something to keep an eye on neil do you like look cool what's that the boss they were showing look cool was this the (laughs) yes this the thing with the was this the hangina boss that i like to call it no it was the big white wolf monster boss like it looked like a chimera white wolf yeah chimera kind of thing oh i'm so excited for this game neil have you played you some dark souls yet have you joined the dark side and no, I haven't. I was uh, I was everywhere else on the show floor. All right. Not that I don't love to talk about Dark Souls, but let's talk about some newer stuff. Let's try to move on. Okay, fine. All right. When I was at the Focus Home Interactive booth, you know, they showed us, you know, three games. There was uh, one. One game was the uh, Testament of Sherlock Holmes, which was uh, like a point and click based on. Uh, you know, Sherlock Holmes. Then they showed this other one called Raw Realms of Ancient Wars, which was a very arcadey, like uh, Dungeon Siege 3 gauntlet style co-op action RPG. But the game that really stood out to me, and it was one that was one of the games I played more that I kept coming back to to play more was called Of Orcs and Men. It's it's uh, developed by Cyanide Studios, who did the Game of Thrones RPG, but this is a completely original thing. It's uh, basically, they wanted to create an RPG with orcs and goblins, but with a more, like, adult storyline and everything. The storyline is about, like, an orc and a goblin who their par- their races are, like, oppressed because, you know, the humans won the war. So now, you know, the orc and the goblin are... Are you know on a quest to to kill the human emperor and 
thing is, and and what I liked about it with the gameplay was was that you kind of had to switch between big muscly orc versus the sneaky <laughs> goblin to get through certain battles or areas and things. For example, if you have a big cluster of enemies, you know, you can have your orc throw the goblin behind enemy lines and then be there to kind of take the brunt of the damage while the goblin can snipe the enemies from behind. And also what I liked was that it's an action RPG, but when you're going through combat menus to maybe changed their stances or the attacks they use it kind of goes into like a bullet time so it's easy for you to switch out your attacks it doesn't reinvent the wheel but i think but it but i thought it was really fun and uh you know and, and a lot of the dialogue i thought was was uh was really good and yeah i mean it was it, it was a, it was one of those games i didn't know about it prior to the show but now i'm interested hmm Okay, okay. So of Orcs and Men, what platform are we looking at for that? Um, PS3, 360, and PC. Is that a download-only title, or is that going to be like a full $60? Not sure, but I'm guessing I'm guessing it'll probably be available in both formats. Okay, okay, okay. All right, more games, more games. Lots of stuff to talk about. Was there a new Final Fantasy? Actually, yes, I played it. Wasn't expecting that. Okay, do tell. <laughs> Uh, it was a, it's a mobile Final Fantasy. And it's not technically new, but oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard about this. It, it was, I was surprised by how good it was. It's, it's a Final Fantasy Dimensions, which it was called Final Fantasy Legend in Japan, and it came out on iMode phones and stuff. Um, and it's basically Final Fantasy V, but not Final Fantasy V. It's got the job system. It's got a really great touchscreen interface. Uh, if you like the 2D Super Nintendo Final Fantasies, um, you basically should get it because. From what I hear, there's a pretty substantial amount of content in it. I hate that word. Um, the, the the music was fantastic, uh, and it's just it's fast paced, and it has all the customization of the job system. You know, you can set you know which job commands you want, tons of abilities for every job. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I, I walked up to it and I was like, oh hey, what is this? And then I ended up playing it for like 20 minutes, and it was really fun okay. and really well implemented. So. So Square Enix can still make old Final Fantasy games. Is that basically what you're telling me? Yep. Was there a new Kingdom Hearts? Oh, gosh. Uh, yeah, Dream Drop Distance was there. And um, if you like Kingdom Hearts, you will probably like Dream Drop Distance. If you hate Kingdom Hearts, it is everything you hate about the series. Um, <laughs> it, Drunk camera and all. Oh, it, God. <laughs> oh, God. It, uh... There basically it functions like birth by sleep where you have a deck of commands and that gives you a lot of diversity in the attacks. Sora and Riku have two separate sets of types of commands. Like Riku has like really darkness oriented commands, whereas Sora has like magical and like keyblade attacks and stuff. Um, and then they've added a thing called free flow actions, which is you, if you jump and dash in the air, uh, you can bounce off walls to attack. You can grab, you know, you can spin around on poles and it just it basically just makes it one step closer to the insanity of a Square Enix cutscene. But when I played it, what's cool is that it really feels like it's it's not like just random insanity. You have a, a, a degree of control over it. Um, so did, the com the combat was fun. If you liked Birth by Sleep, it's just you know souped up Birth by Sleep. Um, I I've already reviewed the music. The music is fantastic. So if you are looking for the next Kingdom Hearts game that is you know really solid, it's probably going to be that. The only thing I noticed about it is that the frame rate is pretty crappy. Um, it's not awful. But it slows down often enough that I was sitting there wondering why that was happening on 3DS, which should be more than powerful enough to handle it. Well, now, I have two questions. Um, first question, I forgot. 
So I'm going to ask the second question. How did the game work with the 3DS not having a second analog stick? I mean, does this thing support CirclePad Pro? Or um, From what I understand, it supports CirclePad Pro. But if you've played Kingdom Hearts on the PSP, uh, it works like that. The L and R triggers, when you tap both of them together, it locks onto an enemy. And if you tap R twice, it swings the camera behind you. And then you can rotate the camera with those. And I found it to work. I mean, I've never had a problem with the Kingdom Hearts camera. It's a little bit wacky occasionally. But I've never, I suppose maybe if you don't like that series' camera, it won't work. But I felt like I had plenty of control over what I, you know, what was going on and all that. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So Dream Drop, Drop Distance, is that out? That This was my first question. Is that out in Japan right now? It has been out in Japan, I believe, for about three months. I think it came out in March. Okay. Uh, We're and it will be out. And July thirty first. Okay. Okay. That's and my review enough. will be very, very up around that time. Uh, you're gonna over review it. I'm not gonna over review it. We need it. to I stop would... letting fanboys review games. No more. Very no more letting it. me re- review Souls games, and no more re- letting you review Kingdom Hearts games. That's enough of that. I'm kidding, I'm a, Stephen. Calm I'm gonna down. give it a ninety nine just because of that. Oh my god. <laughs> okay. Uh, do we want to take a minute to talk about the Square Enix? Luminous trailer, whatever the their their new engine trailer. Do we want to take a minute to talk about that? Oh, the Agnes philosophy video. Yes, the the giant. Look at us. Look at this great animation that we can do, but we don't know how to make a game. I mean, it looks pretty. It was very pretty. The, I, uh, I guess it was a movie. See, there you go. No, no, that's not true because we got two Final Fantasy movies and they were both crap. No, one of them was fun. It was just dumb. Which one? <laughs> Advent Children was fun and dumb. Advent Children was just two hours of sitting around waiting to hear One Wing Angel and watch Sephiroth and Cloud fight again. Well, yeah, but the fights between there were cool. Uh, all right, we're digressing. Okay, anywho. I, but I, I feel like all there is to say about that, I don't know, maybe you guys have more. Uh, it looks promising. If they can make a game with it, great. Uh, but if they can't, then here we go again. I, I was just very disturbed by that. I mean, I know we're getting close to the next console generation already. I mean, we're going to start hearing about it. That everybody's expecting us to see the new consoles next year during the holiday season. And so we're already going to start seeing these rumblings about new technology. I'm sure there's going to be a Final Fantasy VII tech demo at some point for the PlayStation 4 and Durango or whatever you want to call the new 360. But I was very disturbed considering that we haven't really seen a lot of console titles out of Square Enix, you know, out of their in-house development we've seen you know them release games under their banner with deus ex and whatnot but we've seen two final fantasy games no real kingdom hearts console games since 2004 um what are they doing and well, uh, if you think about this though uh the ps1 and ps2 had three main final fantasies and, and Bushido Blade, Brave Spencer, Mushashi, no, 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 Vagrant true. Story, true, but they Chrono also, Cross. Those didn't take nearly as much to develop Chrono Cross. Yay. Yeah. Uh, anyway, <laughs> um, but you're going to get three main Final Fantasies here. I mean, you're going to, well, I mean, we're going to get 13 3. We're going to get, you got 13, 13 2, and eventually you're going to get Versus 13, which will be retitled Type 1. Promise. Most likely. But, but I guess, okay, so the Final Fantasy thing holds true. We're going to get maybe three main Final Fantasy games. You know, if you count Final Fantasy 14's launch and then quick, abrupt end, followed by relaunch, that can count as two games, I guess. But we're not seeing a whole lot out of Square Enix, and that's that's very frustrating for me. And, 
you know, from this developer that I used to be so proud of in terms of, you know, trying new things and releasing, you know, lots of crazy, wacky titles as I try to make sure that my kitty cat doesn't eat the microphone cord. Um, it, you know, for them to already be talking about new tech after they spent how many years making the white engine, I have they just proven that they're not engine developers and why should we care about this? I'm not trying to stir the pot deliberately, but that video really ticked me off. I was just like, really, guys? You're once again showing us how good your tech is. I, th- I think with Square Enix, what you really have to keep in mind at this point is like a lot of Japanese RPG developers, they're moving into handheld. Like everybody's focusing on that. Like, look, you've got the new Shin Megami Tensei is a handheld game. You have all of the recent Kingdom Hearts games have been handheld. You have, uh, you know, almost everything Atlas has been making RPG wise has been handheld. Uh, you know, Radiant, uh, Radiant Historia. I mean, that's. It's kind of the way, like, JRPGs are finding their new home on handhelds, and that's that's sad because I'm sure we'd all love to see HD, you know, I mean, it would have been fantastic to see a Shin Megami with the presentation of Catherine, but, sure. um, Was you know, that? I, don't, I don't think that's restricted to Square Enix. All the JRPG developers, <clears throat> excuse me, all of the JRPG developers are moving handheld, and I think that's because the types of games that they are used to making are better presented on handhelds right now, and I think it's a matter of time before they figure out whatever alchemical combination it takes to make fantastic HD JRPG experiences work. You could be right there. I mean, uh, first question was, uh, was SMT4 at the show or no? Sadly, no. Okay, so all we've seen is the the picture of like kind of medieval mixed with future post-apocalyptic i mean it's, it's smt so it's going to be post-apocalyptic but it didn't re- they didn't really show a whole lot and that that disappointed me a little bit i wanted to see like an actual reveal i know zach was probably sitting at home hoping for a persona 5 announcement it didn't happen but i i think steven you're right and that i, I want to see a persona game or a you know smt game uh main smt game with like the Catherine engine i think we've seen how you know great these graphical presentations that we can get out of these new consoles, they're not new anymore, but, you know, and it's frustrating that we haven't seen that. I mean, I, when I put Nocturne into my PS2 to play it and I just look at it and I'm like, oh, my God, this looks horrible. I really no. wish that. The, no, I'm I, wrong with your TV. It looks fantastic on my TV. It does not look good on an HD TV, sir. Like, ugh. and it, that's frustrating. And so, you know, I, I think we should move on. Let's, let's get back to more games. But it just. That video was like a reaffirmation of everything that I think is wrong with Square Enix right now. And it was just like, okay, guys, I would have rather seen a game. I would have much rather seen a game than another tech. And granted, that was a behind-the-closed-doors tech demo that they eventually released, but that really frustrated me. Okay, what else we got here? Kyle, you got Uh, anything? uh, Pokemon Conquest. I that was a that cool game. While, oh, that, that's the Nobunaga that game Pokemon cool. game. <laughs> yeah. It took a long time for me. I had to play it for a long time because it was so complicated that I needed the longest time out of anything, I think, to actually understand what was going on. But I think that's going to make a lot of people happy. Um, I'm not the biggest strategy RPG fan, but I th- I'm still interested in playing it. Um, it's basically... Well, the way it was explained to me is there are 36 episodes in this game, and the very first one is the part of part of it. That's the one that I played, and you basically have to take over I think 17 castles, 
And in order to do that, you, you know, play through these traditional, <clears throat> traditional strategy RPG battles with Pokemon and, you know, all the Pokemon weaknesses and all that stuff. And the interesting part of it, though, is like there's this management outside of it, this war, the warrior and sort of almost time management that I think is going to make it really fun. You know, trying to because each warrior can do one action every month and an action could be something like shop going shopping. It could be taking him into battle. And once you do that, he's used up and you can't use him again. So, like, you're going to get more warriors and be able to do more things. And I think it'll be a really cool progression from tiny little army to much larger army. To Pokemon ravaging the countryside and obliterating the peasants and killing everybody. I have this, <laughs> I have this image of Pikachu wearing, like, war paint with a bow and arrow in, in the forest just hunting, you know, Charizards. Actually, you know what, what's actually interesting is that there's there's new art for each Pokemon that's in it, and there are, like, 200 of them. And they do look, like, more fierce and warlike. It's kind of interesting. Like, their yeah, poses I want to play this. <laughs> they really didn't, like, go halfway with it, like, with most crossovers. Like, they really embraced the, the Nobunaga aspect of the strategy. And, yeah. Like, it's dense. And one of the coolest things I thought is, I may have misunderstood it, but I don't think I did. In this one, you can actually steal people's Pokemon. Like, when you are fighting another warlord, you can actually convince his Pokemon that it likes you better, and if you kill that Warlord or beat that Warlord in a fight, you actually get to keep that Pokemon. And that's always something that should have been in the original games. You should have been able to steal people's stuff. That's uh, that's true. You you can jack other people's Pokemon in Pokemon Conquest. Oh, my God. The, the, I'm so baffled by the. It's a 3DS title, isn't it? No, uh, it's DS. DS. Regular it's DS? DS? Okay, yeah. I'm, I'm playing it. I am playing it because I was... It's, it, Oof. I want to I'm a big this. fan of strategy RPGs and it's definitely like if it's not like going into it thinking, oh, this is going to have Pokemon. It's going to be very simple is not the way to look at it. It it's a Nobunaga game that also happens to have Pokemon. I am, yeah, I think if you're if you're a strategy RPG fan, even if you've never played a Pokemon game in your life, you should pick it up. Cool. Yeah. Cool. I'm, I mean, I'm proud of Nintendo. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and this is, again, another one of those games that goes along with you know what i feel is the theme of e3 is that you know pleasant surprise i mean even when we first heard about it pokemon and nobunaga that shouldn't work but when we played it it worked it was brilliant i think that that was the big takeaway from e3 again to, to get back to the the start of the podcast was you know watching those press conferences and seeing no real surprises i mean but do you guys remember when it used to be that you got these big surprises at E3? You 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 know see that the lights dim and you'd get this trailer and you didn't know what you were watching. You get all excited, and now it's like all these companies come out and two weeks before the show they show you everything that they're going to see. You nothing is a surprise. You're not yeah. sitting there going. There's no anticipation. And it's like the spectacle of E3 is gone, and it took reading your articles for the site for me to go, no, there was some stuff of value here. There was some stuff hidden hidden away that was worth seeing, even if it wasn't you know, shown at a press conference because it wasn't called Call of Duty Black Ops 2. Speaking of which, Activision had a just gargantuan just debauchery against humanity. Their sign was like, debauchery against humanity. That doesn't make any sense. Anyway, uh... They had it was like a 140 foot lengthwise screen playing just Activision trailers, and I don't really care for them, but man, was it cool to look at! 
All right. Well, so more games. More games. I, I can uh, name. Oh, go ahead, Neil. Yeah. Um, and right and right next to Pokemon Conquest was Mugen Souls. Now, now, Rob, Mugen Souls is one of those games that will that is probably everything you hate about Japanese RPGs. <laughs> you know. Well, <laughs> yeah. I actually it's, said that it's lo- localized by localized by NIS, developed by Compile Heart, <laughs> who are a subsidiary of Idea Factory. This is one of those, you know, brightly colored, really just over over the top, up wacky Japanese RPGs. I, you know, even when I saw those controversial pictures early on in the year i i was i was like yeah i don't know about this game but then when i played it in spite of myself i loved it i thought it was hysterical i loved a lot of the parody aspects of it how they were making fun of how heroes do bad things like like breaking vases and dressing their sidekicks in bikinis Uh. (laughs) and (laughs) <laughs> and of course, and the three protagonists are like all anti-heroes who are going, hey, wait a minute. Why is this hero doing bad things? Hey, how dare you dress her up in a bikini, you sexist pig? Uh... Look, it's it's one of those it's one of those games, you know, it's not exactly going to appeal to everybody. I honestly didn't expect to like it because the only Idea Factory game I've really liked was Hakuoki, but somehow I just I enjoyed this one. Bec- it, this is going to be a guilty pleasure game for me, for sure. Uh, urge to Kill Rising. <laughs> I was waiting for that one. It, it, it's definitely a game that appeals to a certain audience. Uh, I played it. Um, I didn't hate it. But it definitely, it's an idea factory game. It's very in the vein of those like Neptunia and like all of those very, not, very self-referential yeah. JRPGs. If it's uh, not your thing, then stay far away. Yeah, it's 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 not going to make you a fan of that genre. But if you are a big fan of that genre, you're gonna get a you're gonna get a kick out of it. <clears throat> of that particular subset of the genre, like the really, really self-referential JRPGs. Okay, moving on. I played uh, a game that we did not cover the first one, uh, Darksiders 2. Um, I love the first one. Um, the first one, it, it was basically Zelda with like a harder edge, totally kick-ass art, and more DMC-style combat. Uh, the second one, I was told that it's a lot more RPG this time. Uh, now there's like a loot system for you finding weapons. Uh, you know, there are still the same weapon types you're going to find. You know, you're going to find like scythes and like heavy weapons and stuff. But now there's like, you know, there's I don't know if it's as expansive as Diablo. I didn't get to spend enough time with it, but it is a Diablo type loot system. Uh, You know, you have a skill tree, you have, you know, necromancy. And then I can't remember what the other one was. It's like a melee focused one. So you can actually build death the way you want it. You know, there's full sets of armor you can find, you know, loot like that. Uh, The combat is just incredibly fluid, like. It's the it's like the first one, but just death just looks so like just animal like when he's fighting. Like, you know, you, you, I, I was fighting a battle at one point and his dodge attack, you know, war would roll or war would hop back when you played as him in the first one. And this one, death kind of like hops into the air like he's like 
like an ape or something. And just like, he looks really just the animation and the combat are just totally sweet. You know, uh, if you like the art style from the first one, it's just that turned up to 11. Um, just everything about it was really cool. And the, the increased RPG focus really serves it well. And like I, I told John and everybody else after I played it, it's kind of like Amalur at this point. It's like Amalur, uh. but with, but with the le- the really great level design of the first Darksiders, you know, they said there's a slightly lower emphasis on puzzle solving in this one. Um, you're still going to go through dungeons. You're still going to solve puzzles like environmental puzzles and stuff, but it's not going to be, you know, it's a little bit lighter in the Zelda area. But what I played of it, the trade-off is well worth it. It's a very different feeling game, but it also, it feels like a, a sequel. And it's absolutely something that I'm going to buy on day one because it's just, it, 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 it it's awesome. I have a couple questions because I, I bought Darksiders 1 on Steam sale. Uh, I, or maybe, I think I actually got a free copy of it with my purchase of uh, Space Marine. And so I have a free copy of it on my uh, PC, and I've heard that the PC version's kind of rough to get started, but whatever. Does the PS3 version of Darksiders 1, and more importantly Darksiders 2, do both of those games run at 60 frames per second? Because I, be- uh, I believe they both do. If I recall the PS3 version of the first one, I think it did. I can't remember. Um, it's been a while. But uh, I was playing on an on-live console uh, when I played, so it was a little bit blurry, but it was run- like it never slowed down once. It was running butter smooth the whole time. Okay. And I have no reason to doubt that it won't, you know, that was kind of one of their things, you know, is that it looked and the animations and stuff and everything with that, with the high frame rate, it just looks incredibly fluid. Well, I think that, you know, not trying to be a PC gamer snob over here, but like playing more and more games at 60 frames per second, like I'm finding it that, that that's my number one way of pl- preferred way of playing a video game right now is I'll play it on my PC just to get the 60 frames per second. Like I will jump through some hoops to get a game playing on my PC and granted it's not nearly that bad anymore, but, uh, I think it was, um, Jeff Kanata on the, um, on the weekend confirmed podcast was saying that most of the games at E3 we're running on high-end PCs to make the game look as great as possible, to get the frame rate running as great as possible. I mean, do we have a problem with that? Because it's not really it, – not saying Darksiders isn't, but it's not necessarily indicative of what you're going to be playing on the consoles. I mean, is that a little false of developers to do that, or are they just showing the, I mean, if, uh, the game if in you, the best light? If you ask them, they'll tell you it's the PC version. Sure, they're not lying to you, obviously. Uh, you know, and uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, put the game's best foot forward. Anybody who knows anything about the console is going to see it and go, obviously, this is not running on an Xbox. And, I mean, I, I agree with you. I, I made fun of you before I got my new PC. You know, oh, whatever, I love my consoles. But after me, you know, playing The Witcher 2 at 60 frames a second, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm not going to be able to do this. I went to play SSX when it came out, and I was like, oh, God, 30 frames blind. Yeah, I mean it, so, it's but no, it's I, bad. I I don't think it's disingenuous of them to do that because they'll they're upfront about saying this is a PC demo. I it, it was really night and day playing Space Marine. You know, I played the demo on my PS3 and then I played the demo on, on my PC, and just the fluidity of the experience and just you know like you're talking about the animations for Darksiders, like especially with action games with things that are very you know intense we want to see them as fluid as possible and 60 frames is just it's night and day when you compare it to 30 it 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 it, it also depends on the game too like some games don't need 60 frames like you know action rpgs definitely benefit from it like darksiders is butter smooth because of that 
but you know, not like you know, Persona Four or like Shin Megami Tensei Four. It doesn't matter if it's running at sixty frames because right, it's, right. You know, it's it's not animation heavy like that. Yeah, no, I would agree. I would agree. Okay, so Darksiders Two looks good. Apparently, we're going to cover it. So, uh, what else we got to talk about? Um, another game, as Neil might say, off the beaten path, definitely was Ascend New Gods, and this is another Xbox downloadable title. And it looked, I mean, it was kind of rough looking. Like I didn't even know if it was an RPG at first. I kind of, I was just kind of <clears throat> standing back, observing, trying to figure it out. And so I figured out it was an RPG, and then I started playing. And I mean, it was a bit rough looking and. Obviously, this is, you know, pre-elf or whatever. But there were some interesting things about it. And there was just kind of like this underlying um, level of personality and humor about it. That like, But it's a it's a third-person action RPG um, with a general fantasy feel. So nothing new there. Avatar of a god that's trying to eke out his own domain. from, And he's on the world. He sends this avatar to the world that currently pays obedience to a, a titan, I guess. And the Titan is enormous, even bigger than your character walking around in the background. Kind of cool. And you basically go around just, you know, killing everything. And there are little guys, actual humans, come up to, like, your ankle. They're really small, and they, they'll, like, bow down to you or start attacking you. And it's just, it's really cool. Cool little details like that. But one of the in- most interesting things about it was the cooperative aspect or the online aspect. And it reminded me a lot of Dark Souls or Demon Souls. Hello. And I think we're going to see games inspired by that kind of multi, that kind of indirect sort of multiplayer, you know. And in this game, you could join other people, other players' games, and you wouldn't actually directly affect them, but you could like curse or bless them. So you might drop like a, it was some sort of a totem. They had like an area of effect blessing and you would do more damage or whatever. I'm not sure what it was. But the really cool thing was the curse. You can actually banish every enemy on screen and throw them into the other player's game. So suddenly they're fighting their own enemies and yours at the same time. Hmm. That's pretty cool. Well, I think it's really interesting that Kyle brought up the the like – different ways that people are handling multiplayer right now. I think we're seeing that with uh, with Dragon's Dogma, with the whole you don't actually bring somebody into your world, but you bring in right. their, their pawn, their secondary character. Uh, Resident Evil 6 is going to do a thing where when the two groups of uh, – when the two different teams or three different teams meet up because each main character has a partner character that you can play co-op with the whole way through, when the teams meet up at certain scenarios in the game – Capcom will actually go online to find players in the same exact situation and drop them into your game so that you're going to play together in these scenarios. That, to me, is a really cool aspect of multiplayer that I want to see more of. You know, yeah. this, this idea of single-player experiences still being connected online. Yeah, I that's, think we will see it. I mean, I think it's going to explode, sort of, Yeah, I, uh, because of the success of Dark Souls. Yeah. And and also I agree like with a lot a lot of like games I've been seeing whether it was um, Raw Realms of Ancient Wars as I mentioned earlier, or um, Young or the Young Justice game at Little Orbit's booth. I mean, there's a, a lot of um, you know RP and are focusing a lot on like the cooperative multiplayer, kind of like Gold Gauntlet, and that's pretty neat for me. 
Yeah, I I definitely think, you know, in, in regards to that whole thing, we're definitely going to start seeing more of that. Um, just the way that works, it, it allows you to get, you know, other people into your experience without, you know, having to necessarily be playing simultaneously. And I mean, we don't, you know, we don't cover these games, but, you know, you're seeing it like games like SSX where, you know, you can race people, you know, people's ghosts are just in your game or like the new SimCity where like you're playing single player, but at, you're connected to the rest of the people's cities yeah. in the world. So it's like, it's almost like an MMO without, you know, all of the horrible parts of MMOs, like most most everything. <laughs> the, the problem uh, the problem that you run into, um, and, and again, this this isn't a game that we're that we cover, obviously, but it really illustrates the point that these uh, online synchronous ideas are really really cool. The problem is making them work in the nature of your game, and especially if it's a narrative driven game. So, uh, Dead Space Three is going to have a single-player and multiplayer campaign. So if you're playing alone, it's just Isaac. If you're playing together, it's Isaac and the new character, Carver, or whatever the hell his name is. And I'm sitting there, and I was thinking about Dead Space and how they can incorporate elements of Dark Souls, you know, make it more open-ended, and you know, you explore more. And then I started thinking about, well, how do you handle multiplayer? Well, Dark Souls gets away with it because it's a fantasy realm, and it's this idea of you know different realities mixing in with each other, and that's how characters you know meet up and help each other in this world or hinder each other. But then I'm like, well, how do you handle that in a sci-fi game like a horror game like Dead Space? How do you try to incorporate multiplayer or, or in or in mass effect how do you deal with that and it seems like the the way that some companies are seeing to deal with that is to just keep the two separate but there's a connecting element between the two in mass effect you see the impact that you have for multiplayer impacts your single player game in dead space 3 you know it's a single player campaign until you go online and then it's a multiplayer campaign so how do you, it seems like these companies really want to bring multiplayer together but they're having trouble from a narrative standpoint you know what i mean that that was just something that i felt like how would you make uncharted a multiplayer game you know, because he's obviously not always with a partner character. He is for vast majorities of the time, but Nathan Drake isn't always with a partner. Sometimes he's solo. Yeah, I think they basically you're looking at the experience has to be tailored to it. You know, you have to build a game where okay, Resident Evil Five, Chev is always with him, or you know, yeah, that worked out so well. Well, look, <laughs> my, so- get- <laughs> my not solution to is to not have multiplayer at all, but <laughs> but I. Uh, yeah. But now, but now, Kyle, would you have uh, you didn't play? That's right, because this is interesting. Because Kyle, you didn't like the multiplayer aspect of Dark Souls. You wanted to do it all on your own, right? Yeah, I wish I could have done it all on my own. I wish it would have been just maybe slightly easier, so I could have done it by myself. I don't. It's sort of a double-edged sword for me. I like it sometimes, but generally, I just like a solitary experience. So I totally, I see where if, you're coming from with that. Like. For me, when I play Dark Souls, it almost feels like cheating when you fight a boss with another yeah, guy. Yeah, that's because even though they can't be, you know, I think it's like within seven soul levels. The fact is, when you're fighting Ceaseless Discharge, if he's attacking you, he's not attacking the other guy who is literally just wailing on him. 
Well, but yeah. ceaseless discharge you're supposed to beat with a trick anyway. But not to talk about Dark Souls too much. But uh, and you know we see it with Diablo now. Like Diablo is very much a you know you're supposed to be playing that game online. That's why they want you to have the the multiplayer connection all the time. I think we're going to see more and more of this. Is that the the single player, the straight single player experience? I think we're going to see slowly go by the wayside. We're even seeing connectivity with um you know the new Hitman game. There's going to be a scoring system and a ranking system online to compare you to all your friends. I mean, even in the the E3 demo, it had your rating as you were going through the mission that's going to be posted online. That's even a level of multiplayer. You know, that's that's a level of connectivity and connection with another user base. And I, I think we're going to see more of that as these consoles, PCs, as these things continue to be online all the time. Yeah, I think it's yeah. definitely part of the future, and it's sort of unfortunate for me, but I know a lot of people enjoy it. And I, I but, like this sort of indirect, you know, that we're seeing in Dark Souls and Ascent and stuff. That's my favorite kind of multiplayer, if we have to have it. I agree. But, I, I think there's room for both experiences. Like, I love to play Borderlands in multiplayer with friends, and I also love, you know, Dark Souls. I'm playing it by myself, but when I want someone else part of my experience, they can be. And if I were call neil didn't you play a game at e3 that was kind of relevant to this actually yes i did it was uh the latest from larian studios it was called uh, divinity origins and while it does have a robust single player experience where you're controlling like you know a party of four characters throughout an adventure there is drop in drop out multiplayer where you know uh another player can become one of those four characters and and there's a lot of times where throughout the game you'll be making you know dialogue choices but it's not just say the leader you know making the dialogue choices and the trees the other characters will have you know dialogue choices and trees too and they'll they that could either go along with or against the leader player and and say and even when they talk to each other there's like dot dialogue choices and it affects you know character relationships so it's almost one of those things where you know you know where if you want if you want to bring a friend into it to help in they can kind of have a part in playing the story so 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 it's like so it's it's ambitious but it's kind of like you know like hearing what kyle says if they, if you know, if it's pulled off as well as I hope it is, you know, you kind of get to eat your cake and have it too, you know. Cool, cool. All right. So, uh, what other games do we have? Wait a minute. I just realized that Stephen mentioned a game that no one has talked about yet. Did anybody see Borderlands Two? Oh, yeah, well, I mine was too long for me. <laughs> we, uh, I tried it. Kyle, I think you tried it, and I know Liz yep. tried it. If you liked Borderlands 1, you'll really like Borderlands 2, but if you didn't, it's not going to change your mind. Basically, it's it's a lot more Borderlands. Uh, it, the, the, the new character skills are very cool. Um, you know, for example, the, the sniper has a move where he, he, he disappears, he becomes cloaked, but he leaves a clone of himself, but while he's cloaked, weak points on the enemies get highlighted in red. And if you shoot those, I believe it just keeps building up a damage multiplier. And so you can keep aiming for different weak points on the enemies until you get to the point where you're like one shotting people. And, uh, you know, the, the, the guns feel very different now. Um, it's, 
it's basically Borderlands turned up to eleven. Am I gonna like it? I I mean I you know You didn't play the first one in multiplayer, so you missed the point. No no no, I did a little bit, but it the the problem with that game, you know, not to I no, I will I will not toot an article that I wrote. My problem with that game was that it was too much of an RPG with too much of a sh- it was like the exact opposite of my reaction to the first Mass Effect where the first Mass Effect didn't control at all like a shooter so I got really frustrated because it looked like a shooter meanwhile Borderlands looked completely like a shooter but it had the same like RPG mechanics behind the back that like it didn't matter how many times I shot that dude in the face if he was 3 levels higher than me he took one damage from each shot yeah i don't I got think really you're annoyed see that. I don't think don't, you're going to see it change from that. Um, probably not. I didn't play it long enough to not, to figure it out, but I don't think they changed it too much. Yeah, it's there's a lot more like, okay, this enemy has like, oh, you got to go run here and blow this chunk of armor off, or you got to find this weak point. There's a lot more. There, there is a greater degree of strategic consideration going into your fights, yeah. but it's still an RPG. You know, if the guy's 10 levels ahead of you, you will never kill him. I guess I, I guess I just described. I, I tried to make it sound like Mass Effect and uh, Borderlands were very different, but I guess I could argue that they both had the exact same problem for me, which was that if you're gonna look that much like a shooter, but the numbers underneath the hood are, for lack of a better term, screwing me as bad as they are, and there's no amount of my skill that's able to break through that, that really annoys me, and so. I've looked at Borderlands 2. I mean, it looks cool. I mean, it, it looks like it's ratcheted up to 11, but I am not really interested at all. I think you may need to play it with me. Okay. <laughs> like, I, I I am a huge fan of the first Borderlands. With four four different groups, I've beaten the entire game. There's, if you run, if you accidentally run, you know, a foul of the way the game is balanced, like, oh, crap, I ran into the area for the end of this chapter and everything is way higher level. Yeah, you're going to get screwed. But if you're following the game, you know, the general path of side quests and quests, you're going to level up. You're never going to see enemies that are grossly overpowered from you. And the whole time you're just going to be having a fantastic fine looting. And well, it's I, I guess what I really want to see is I want to see a reason behind what I'm doing in that game. Like every time I got a mission in that game, I was just like, yeah, 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 whatever. Well, th- that might've been because the PC version was so broken that I couldn't even like scroll down the list and read the entire mission description of what I was doing. There was no way to do that. They that, fixed that later. Yeah. They fixed it later. Um, great. Well, two things then in that case, they're going for a greater, no, they're not trying to foot yeah, foist story upon you in this one. But they're doing a, a lot of work to make the story actually part of the experience where, like, characters are talking and saying, hey, yo, the catch-a-ride station broke. Go fix it, as opposed to here's a block of dialogue that you are going to skip and then chase the dot. Uh, you know, you get uh, – I believe there's a mini-map now. So, you know, you, you're not just chasing dots all over the place. You know, you you have more of a tactical awareness. Um, and – They've said several times the PC version will be a full PC version. It's going to have, you know, specifically designed for it, tons of options to tweak the game, you know, no, you know, mouse smoothing, um, you know, no game spy. The, oh, they're building thank it. God. They're building it this time. They, they you know, they, they released a funny, it was like a letter from Claptrap, and it was like a love letter. Oh, from yeah, PC I fans. did see that. I did so, see that. <laughs> You know, if those were some of your concerns in the first one, they are de- they have specifically stated they're trying to address these. I didn't get to see that really in action because I just played a brief demo of it. 
It was funny because I, I tried to play Borderlands 1. I've said it before multiple times. I tried to play Borderlands 1 like three different times, and it always started out the same way. I was like, oh, my God, this game's amazing. And then like two hours later, I was like, okay, I'm having fun. And then two hours after that, I was like, yeah, I'm done. You got to play it with friends. And you ha- the first Borderlands, if you do every side quest, eventually they get too easy because there's more side content than there is main content. And you outlevel the story, and then it gets to be just, okay, everything dies in one hit. Or and then you run ahead and then you get to oh crap everything will not die at all, you know you you definitely it definitely has a couple of foibles like that but you know you if you play it you got to play it with friends it's really not something I could see enjoy you know I, I wouldn't enjoy playing it with random people but yeah. like if we all got on and played it you know and hopped on Skype it's a complete blast. What when is that? Is that September? Yes. God, it's amazing with all these games that have been delayed. It's still a very busy fall. It's still a very, very busy fall. I'm sitting here trying to figure out how I'm going to make all this stuff work. Crap. Don't plan a wedding, guys. Don't plan a wedding. It's really, really hard. I'm starting grad school, so that's going to be nice and busy. <laughs> You're going to be broke and have no time. <laughs> yeah. Woohoo. Well, I mean, I'm broke now, so I might as well just. Add the no time on there. At least I won't feel like I'm wasting my time. Kyle, are you going to join us for Borderlands? Because this was actually one of the ways that Kyle and I bonded, as we both didn't like Borderlands that much. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Maybe. I I wanted to like that game, and I, I'm really interested. To see, I'm really interested to see what they do with the character classes, because that that was the number one complaint that I had with that game was that the character classes were so blah. And I unfortunately. I hate, Unfortunately, there's still only like one special ability, and then all the rest of the skills are kind of passive oh, and boring. And there, there is though, like I agree with Kyle. I was kind of hoping to see more uh, actives, but the pa- the the diversity among the passives is a lot greater now, and it's much easier to respect because it seems like they're almost building the game where, hey, what are the skills I need for this particular mission? Or like, you know, do I want to have more corrosive power this mission because I'm fighting guys that have you know metal armor or whatever? You know, it's that could be good because it, that that just watching your your slight point totals go up. And I, I thought the I thought the special ability for each character class in the first game was really lame. Yeah, like really I mean, freaking lame. Like just, you know, throwing a bird at people or dropping. Why is it, you, you notice that like every game these days you have to have a character class that drops a turret? Yeah, and it like, was, I, play, I played that class and the turret was actually pretty handy, but it was also kind of boring. Yeah, and I, I guess I really want to see. You know, it, it seems like the four character classes that they announced are much more interesting. I'm interested in playing as the the ninja or whatever the the assassin character is. What does he use? Like a sword or something? He he has a sword, and you know he's in he's got like uh, a re- the stealth move that I mentioned. And what's cool is he has an entire tree uh, of moves to make his melee attack like crazy, like you know super fast or like you know. If he kills somebody, he becomes like lightning fast and can run and kill somebody else. And like, you know, you know, they're definitely all still passives. And that's kind of a bummer. But the diversity among them is definitely better than what I saw in the first one, because I agree. The first one special abilities was kind of okay. Jack up whichever passive gun I like and then move on. Yeah. So I'm I'm excited for it. I, I thought Borderlands one was like a good groundwork. Hey, if we see the if we see the development from Diablo one to Diablo two, I mean, hey, I've signed me the hell up. But I I don't know. I just it, nothing about that game has me excited right now. Maybe it's a when I'm playing with Steven and he's yelling at me to kill Skags, I'll get really interested. That's, uh, I, I my still roommate love, hated the game. 
Really? He play, then he played it like he he had a lot of the same complaints you did, and then he played it in multiplayer with me and my other roommate, and he was like, "We have to get Borderlands too. This is so awesome." I th- I still love the art design of that game. Like that, the best thing that that game ever did was when they redid the art design. Because I remember when that was just bland space shooter three, or whatever. That, and then they redid that art design and you know went you know crazy with the comic book look of that game. That was the best thing they could have done. And their display at the E3 booth was oh, one of my favorites because the characters looked amazing. It it was really striking, like you said, that comic book look. Yeah, that's though that's a good comic book look. I was I, I was walking through a bookstore the other day and I, I saw the Game of Thrones graphic novel was there. And I don't mean to harp on a dude's art style, but oh my I'm now remembering why I got out of comic books like back in the nineties. Cause it just looked so awful. Like that <laughs> the like the 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 characters and you know of course it's that 90s comic book like every woman has double d's and no waist and every dude is literally built like dwayne the rock johnson mixed with hulk hogan and luke ferrigno like it just so he's marcus phoenix yeah it just looks like Mar- and it's like it's so bland and uninteresting and then you see something like borderlands which is very stylized and it does strike you because it's like this is stylized done right this grabs your attention in a positive way and, you know, I thought the I thought the trailers for Borderlands One and especially Borderlands Two they look really impressive. I just want to see, I, I want to see some more meat to that game. I want to see some reasoning for why I'm doing what I'm doing. I think Steven's right. When you're doing it with friends, when you're playing that game with friends, you don't care about what you're doing. When you're playing it as a solo experience, you get really bored really fast. I want you to take everything you just said, delete the word Borderlands, and replace it with Diablo. No, no, that's not true. I, honestly, I can play Diablo two and three by myself and have a really good time. I, I, I cannot, but that that's just the difference there. The thing is, though, if you're looking for a why in Borderlands, you need to. It, it's the same answer as Diablo. You're looking for better loot. Yeah, looking- yeah. I, I think the loot progression in in um in Borderlands was also frustrating. Like, you I know, thought it was awesome. I don't know. It it it, it was frustrating. Uh, like I I don't know. There was just something something was missing. Maybe it was just as simple as it wasn't called Diablo. But uh, you can get a machine gun that fires rockets. You can get a shotgun that fires little cluster bombs with a scope. Is that in the new one or was that in the old one? That's in the first one, and they're even more. And that's actually the best part about the second one is that all of the different brands of guns are vastly different. Like the cheapy brand of guns now are like. You know, you'll fire them, and as you're firing them, chunks of them are flying off. And like, instead of reloading them, you just throw them away. Yeah, I, I, you know, I'll give it a shot. I, I wanted to like Borderlands One, and Lord knows I played it a lot. I think if I didn't have to jump through those PC hoops, I would have liked it. I remember, ha- I remember having to set up a DMZ for my wireless because I could not play with anybody online. Like that's <laughs> that that GameSpy implementation. Steven, are you getting it for PC or are you going to get it for PS3? PC, baby. That a boy. That a boy. <laughs> what, what did I build this badass PC for if not to play games with Rob just and the everyone Witcher. else who has badass PCs? <laughs> just the Kyle, Witcher. who can join us. Because The Witcher is the only game that uses that badass PC. Yeah. <laughs> hey, well, you maybe, know you can, maybe you can convince me to play it. There we go. Now we're talking. I'll, I'll give it a shot. I'll give it a shot. So, all right. Um, well, we're coming up on an hour, and I promised Zach, who is going to be editing this, that we will uh, keep it to an hour. So, uh, yeah, E3, definitely uh, interesting. I, I, I don't know what to say. I, I think it was very much a transition year. 
You could tell that like yeah. some people wanted there to be an announcement of new consoles, like you know, Watch Dogs <laughs> and Star Wars thirteen thirteen. They're like, oh yeah, l- take a look at these games. What what consoles are you releasing them for? Well, that's an interesting question. Actually, it was like, okay. The answer to that question is we don't know what they're called yet. Don't know what they're – well, we know it's going to be PlayStation 4. Actually, I, I would be kind of surprised if they called it PlayStation 4. Well, supposedly they're going to call it the Orbis because in Latin, Orbis Vita means circle of life, and that's just pretentious enough for Sony that I believe it. <laughs> it's also – I'm not going to deny it. I eat that up. I'm like, yeah, all right. Go ahead and do it. I, I think I think it's the, the, the Sony brand I, – I, not the Sony brand, but the PlayStation brand – I think has kind of been damaged a little bit because of the PlayStation 3, and everybody's all doom and gloom about the Vita. I don't think we're ready to put the Vita six feet under yet, although it, they got, Lord knows they tried during that Sony press conference because what they said about Vita was less than what they said about the freaking J.K. Rowling storybook game. Yeah, dude, but Nintendo <laughs> didn't even talk about the 3DS, and then when they finally had a conference for it, it was like some tiny conference that nobody was at where they just talked about the four games everybody already knows about. Yeah, I, I think the PlayStation they, brand might be damaged a little bit, and they might want to call the PlayStation 4 something different. There were a lot of Vita games at the show, just too like not not to harp on that topic but i definitely think both of those handhelds are going to have a good lifespan i hope so i hope so but i i think i think that's where we're going to see a lot of development i mean we got an smt game coming out for 3ds i I can almost guarantee you it's going to come out for vita as well you know it's like why wouldn't they um i think we're going to see some cool stuff so kingdom hearts birth by sleep too i I thought we were going to see uh kingdom Hearts. we will and i'll tell you about that later all right. All right. Okay. Well, thank you, everybody, for uh, listening to the first segment of the podcast. We will be moving on into the second segment after a little break. Hello, and welcome, everybody, to the second half of our E3 podcast. Once again, I'm Rob Steinman, Pale Robbie on the boards. Joining me for this section, we have the man with many titles, the Grand Maester of the Universe, and the E3 aficionado. Uh, this is John McCarroll, uh, ringing in a decade of E3. You've been going to E3 for a decade, dude? This this was number 10. Wow. How, how does it feel? Um, I... I'm tired of walking around. All the games should just come to me. <laughs> so you must have liked that one E3 where, like, that's literally what they did. Oh, to the, okay. So E3 2007 was the one that was in Santa Monica where I walked more than any other year because I had to run back and forth between uh, hotels. Yeah. 2008 was just in a single hall of the L.A. Convention Center. And it was just like, oh, I'm just going to hang out right here. Uh, like, what's great is if you see pictures and videos of... Uh, of E3 at any point if during between 10 and 6 like the crowd the halls are absolutely crowded you can't get anywhere i have a picture that i took at like noon uh in 2008 in one of the days of the show and there's like three people in it and it's of like a huge hallway which i, I thought was was always quite fun Awesome. Awesome. So John's not the only one here today. We also have uh, back to the show after an awesome first episode. We have David Yeager. Hey, how's it going? Awesome. And it was my first E3. Oh, first one. OK, OK. That's one of the right. one of the oldest guys on the podcast. And this was your first E3. Oh, thanks for bringing that up. I appreciate uh, uh, it. Uh, hey, we, we got the old crew here today. Like, 
all of us that are like almost over the hill, you know, getting married and whatnot, just, yeah. oh, God. Practically fitting me for a walker as we speak. Yes, exactly. That's the way I feel sometimes. I mean, my students are like, wow, you must be old. You're, you're like 27. I'm like, ah, <laughs> God. Thank you, but this is what scares me is that, you know, kids that can drive today in this year were born in 1996. Oh, my God. Ugh. Let's That's not spend what, too much time thinking about that. Uh, not, uh, not terrible. <laughs> now, now it's going to be a sad podcast. Yeah, let's, <laughs> yeah. Sadness. Oh, my God, guys. Oh, my God. Okay, good things. Good. Happy thoughts. Happy thoughts. Okay, so we got a lot of games to talk about. We obviously talked about a metric ton of video games in the first segment, but we still have more. Uh, once again, proving that this E3, even though it didn't seem like it, uh, yeah, there were a lot of RPGs at this E3. So, who wants to get the ball rolling? Ooh, me. Oh, John. Ooh, me. Okay. Um, so, there's actually a point-and-click adventure game, not an RPG, but it's within RPG fans' coverage, so I'm going to talk about it anyway. Okay. Um, we had a chance to visit uh, Lace Mamba, which is a... Uh, they're, they're a publisher. They actually publish indie games in physical packages in Europe. Um, but they also do some digital publishing as well. And they're publishing this game called Lucius. And in Lucius, you play as a six-year-old boy. Um, yes, I did. A very creepy six-year-old boy. Yes. Uh, um, is this like Limbo? Like, what, what are we talking about? Uh, okay, so, so Limbo is like, oh, I'm a six-year-old boy. Okay, Lucius um, has had his soul sold to Satan. Oh, uh, charming. <laughs> so Lucius... Is in this. His family is fairly well-to-do. They're British, and um, Lucius kills people, and it's all according to Satan's plan. And you have to figure out how best to kill your victims. So, um, so get away with it. Yeah. Oh my yes. God. <laughs> so, so they showed us a couple of scenarios. Um, one was you you had to kill the maid. And the maid was in the kitchen, and she walks into the freezer. <laughs> so you grab a padlock, and you lock her in the freezer and turn it up. And then as she's in there, you come back later in the night and take the padlock away so no one will notice that it was you. So this is like Agent This 46. is the positive part of the podcast right now. Oh, my God. Six-year-old so, murderer. Yes. Like, I'm having this awesome image of, like, Agent 47 as a young kid, or, like, uh, The Omen with Gregory Peck right now. Oh, my God. The Omen was the first thing I thought of. Again, putting an age on me. <laughs> <laughs> now, the, the, the other scenario that they showed us, which there's, I think there's 20-some-odd scenarios, um, was it, your, your uh, father's friend comes in, and he's a smoker, so um, you have to figure out the best way to kill him. So, um, you steal his cigarettes, and then you go to the oven and make a gas leak. So when he goes to light his cigarette on the oven, it explodes. Okay, I have a couple serious questions here. First off, what platform? Because I need to play this game. Uh, th this is a PC title. Okay, cool. Is it out yet? <laughs> no, it's going to be out, I believe, in September or October, some, sometime later this year. Okay. Um, it's, not not a it's, this. Not, <laughs> it's not a real big budget title, so don't, don't expect... Super over the top everything. And it's a point and click adventure game. Um, right. It's a 3D 3D adventure game. Um, but it's it's a really really cool concept. The team behind it is actually a team in Finland, and it's got like four guys on it. 
So, but it's just a really, really great concept, and it looks like the execution is pretty solid too, especially for a team of that size. Wild idea for a game, and Kyle did a nice preview on it. If you want more information, anybody listening to it uh, on the website, and it's got some some really creepy screenshots too. Yeah, I'm really not for the faint of heart. I am really excited for this right now because th- this is what I want to see out of video games. Just different stuff. We we were talking before on the last episode, I think, about how I wanted to play a game where I was evil. Well, you don't get much more evil than trying to kill the maid. <laughs> yeah. Like, holy God. <laughs> no. So I like that was one that that you know the, our demo was not particularly long. And the game is pretty linear. Like it's not like oh you're this six year old boy. Am I going to use the gun or am I going to use the thing? They're set. The you know how you do it is set. Like it's a point and click adventure game. Just like how you can only do things one way in Monkey Island or or whatever. It's the same thing there, but. It it just looks very very intriguing, and I'm really interested to see that one when it comes. Yeah, out. there's some interesting ideas too. Like he has a little bit of telekinesis, so I know that he can like basically like pop light bulbs, like to kind of avoid detection in certain sequences and everything like that. It kind of there should be some neat, uh, or you know, extremely disturbing uh, puzzle sequences, you know, kind of in the game. I think it's going to be interesting. Okay, uh, that game sounds amazing. So, uh, okay, who <laughs> wants to follow that game up? Hmm. Uh, well, we can follow that up with, uh, did we discuss uh, Young Justice Legacy? Um, this was one that I saw uh, that was based on, that is actually going to be based on uh, the TV show, the cartoon that's in its second season. Now, I wasn't too familiar with the cartoon, but uh, I did the best I could, you know, tried to catch up on a little bit of it and everything. But basically, the idea is, is that this is the Young Justice League. These are the, the side, the teenage sidekicks, oh, and, you know, okay. possible heirs to the Justice League. And this is a cartoon that's on Cartoon Network on a regular basis. So you've got guys like Nightwing and, you know, kind of a young Flash and uh, things like that. Uh, and basically, this game is going to... Uh, in between seasons one and two of the cartoon, there's about a five-year gap. And this game is going to tell a portion of the story that takes place in between that gap, which is, you know, kind of a neat idea. Now, the uh, uh, the, the publishing company in particular, um, and the name escapes me, I'll have to but, look it up real quick, but the, the publishing company in particular seems to be doing a lot of this with, like, other titles, where they're trying to do additional uh, marketing kind of opportunities yeah. for things like novels and uh, and cartoons, because they're also doing a Mistborn game, uh, the same publisher. For, from uh, my understanding, Little Orbit is uh, is actually their, their kind of modus operandi is to create uh, games based on existing franchises. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And of course, knowing that he, knowing the Little Orbit off the top of his head is why he's the editor-in-chief. And so... It, Basically, this game looks pretty neat because it's going to have three-player at the same time kind of cooperative play. But if you don't have cooperative players in there, uh, there's going to be the other the other two players will be controlled by artificial intelligence by the AI, and you can switch between the characters, kind of getting kind of uh, as the game progresses. So it's going to it looked to me kind of it reminded me a lot of the old uh, uh, kind of the updated gauntlets. You know, that type of action RPG where it's kind of a light, light uh, gameplay type of thing, but a lot of fun to play with your friends. Okay, okay. Is there, like, angsty Batman, like, you know, if they're all kids and whatnot? <laughs> well, remember, they're not all the actual 
Like, so it's not like Superman and Batman and stuff. Oh, uh, like okay. Thing. It's like Teen Titans almost. Oh God. So, like, you know, you're talking about all the younger apprentices and/or sidekicks. Uh, uh, so young, just oh, any. Shut up, Rob. You're not the target audience. <laughs> I watched a little bit of Teen Titans. Like, I was getting out of high school when that show was on TV. I tried to catch it a few times, and I was like, okay. This is well. It's not like Rob. The Teen Titans comic has been around like forever. No, that's true. That's true. I I know. I'm just you know just just I'm just hating. Hate is gonna hate. I I know, and I'm telling you why not. To. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. So, okay. So, uh, what else did we say? Let Let's talk. Uh, I'm gonna talk a little bit about Ragnarok Odyssey, um, which Exceed <clears throat> had at their booth, but it was uh, it was not translated at all, um, because it's it's not yet been translated but uh it's it's pretty straightforward um if you've played you know fantasy star online or fantasy, or fantasy star portable monster hunter those style of games you know exactly what you're getting with uh with ragnarok odyssey but it's for vita and like i it's got much more fast-paced combat than the others um you knock enemies into the air juggle them there but in regards to its overall structure, if you've played a game like that, like, you know, uh, or, or uh, God's Eater Burst or any of those, you know exactly what you're getting into. It's not bringing a whole lot that's brand new to the table, but it's pretty and it's for Vita, and that's good enough for me. Well, it's good to see at least one game for Vita because I, I was, yeah. John, you and I had talked a lot about the Vita and what we're hoping to get out of that system and whatnot. And I got to say, like, a- after Sony's press conference, I was just like, well, they don't seem to care about Vita yeah, anymore. It, it, well, in, in the same way, kind of in the 3DS got shuffled to the back at yeah. Nintendo's press conference. It didn't really seem to be their focus here. Um, I'm actually really happy with the Vita just because uh, Gravity Rush came out last week, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I got the the Metal Gear collection as well, which you love the controls, right? Oh my God, I don't know. Like I don't know how you complain about every other game and don't complain about Metal Gear. Dude, it was 2001 when Metal Gear 2 came out. I've had over a decade to get used to those controls, but I still admit they're crap. <laughs> like I I'm like totally I need agree. to shoot that person. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. But I, I think what helps with that oh, is okay, that. Oh. I, no, no, no. I, I need to ask this question right here on the podcast. Okay. How is it I can pull out my gun with square? How do I put it down without uh, shooting? Okay, there there is a problem with that, and I noticed it with the HD collection. Uh, you're supposed to ease off the square button like very, very gently to put the gun away. It did not work as well in the HD no. class. No, no, no. Do you know why that doesn't work? Because the Vita's face buttons are not pressure sensitive. Ah, then I would just unequip it by tapping maybe maybe R2. Yeah. John, I, I am going to agree with you. Those controls are terrible. I actually thought that the HD collection was good, but not that great. Like, there were serious problems with some of the boss fights in 3. Like, 3, you have to, to fight the end. It's completely audio-based. I, got, I, no, I, got, no, no, I have to complain about this. I got, I, I got Rob on Metal Gear. What did I do? Yeah, I know, I know. No, I but at the end is audio-based in terms of the whole fight. Like, that's how you find him. That's how you snipe him. The audio cues don't work in the HD collection. And I, I actually went back, put in the PS2 version to see if I was losing my mind, and I wasn't. I was able to take him out easily in the PS2 version. PS3, the audio was all over the place, and it was just wrong. 
and it was it was like oh he's over here no he's actually in the exact opposite area of where he was so in answer to your question john yes those controls suck okay yes i'm i'm sorry yeah i bet you are no i am like they <laughs> they, they suck well, i will not disagree gravity rush is awesome even though it's not an rpg it's kind of an open world action game um it's it's kick ass so you should pick it up if you like have a vita I, do we think that the companies are just all giving up on handhelds? I mean, are they, are they just no, saying, like, I, Apple, you win? No, no, no. I think what's going on, and honestly, this comes from Japan, is in Japan, the Vita has not picked up yet, simply because there's not a Monster Hunter game for Vita. And I, I wish it was. It would be like a, a platform in North America that doesn't have a Grand Theft Auto or uh, doesn't, you know, you, you have, or a Call of Duty. So you know look at the Wii. we doesn't have call of duty modern warfare 3 we certainly not selling right now i think that that in japan monster hunter is our call of duty or our grand theft auto right right um now i think the vita will sell more in north america when whatever the new call of duty is comes out or maybe assassin's creed um and then in japan it will start selling more when monster hunter comes out you mean assassin creed's three as they kept referring to it during the press conference. I just thought that was... I felt bad for Jack Trenton on that one. Uh, I, I wasn't there. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But, no, I, I think you're right. It's just, It was very disheartening because you, I figured that we were going to see, like, after, the, after Nintendo hit the panic button on the 3DS and dropped the price, and they were like, oh, my God, please buy our system. Like, I kind of expected Sony was going to do that with the Vita, and they were like, yeah, we're good. We're not well, going I mean, to announce no games, but man, we good. I think they're they're playing kind of the same game they were with the PlayStation 3 in regards to pricing where Ooh. they're – well, no, it, it worked for them in the long run, but they don't – they have no need right now to say, okay, you need to buy Vitas right now because I, I feel like you know there there is going to be in North America less sales of both handhelds simply because of iPads and iPods and Android phones – this is going to sound really uh, dickish, what I'm about ready to say, and I, I really don't mean it to sound that way, John, but when you say successful because of the, the pricing of the PS3, I mean, they, they ended up in third place. Like, is that successful, or are we just talking success from a monetary, like, they made money off their system? Well, they made money, and in, in regards to – here, I, I don't consider the Wii – successful to the core market and i certainly don't see the wii as successful as a long-term console okay i see what you're saying now okay okay then i agree with you because we've seen the wii numbers really going down and you know playstation 3 is certainly picked up so yeah okay okay i just wanted to make sure i i'm yeah i'm not saying that oh my god it would they they blew the doors off everything because you know what it was going to be impossible to follow up with the playstation 2 right right but I in say, i wouldn't go out and buy sony stock right now I'll just leave it at that. I mean, they're 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 not just getting killed in terms of like video games. They're also getting killed in other arenas like electronics and things like that. I'm not sure. I mean, we're kind of getting a little bit off into like the business area of how this works, but I am not sure that their model of placing themselves as a premium product with how much quality has caught up in more economically priced products, and I'm talking things like TVs, not just video game platforms. No, that's a good point. I don't know. I like I'm interested to I don't know if it's 
savvy business sense or just plain old stubbornness when it comes to things like the Vita? Well, that, that's that's a very good point that you bring up with uh, the other aspects of Sony business because when it comes to TVs, like when I decided I was going to you know buy a new plasma screen TV, I took one look at Sony's pricing and one look at LG, and I was like, um, yeah, I'm going to go with LG, well, which is like significantly cheaper. One thing that's interesting is actually those two brands. I own a 40-inch Sony TV and a 32-inch LG TV. Well, look at you rolling in that RPG fan money. Oh, yeah, right. How does it feel to go to sleep on piles of gold coins? Oh, yeah, yeah, how do you like that, Scrooge McDuck? Uh, you, you mean me waiting and waiting for a payment at E3 so I can make sure I can afford the hotel? <laughs> uh, I like how we're dating ourselves with DuckTales references right oh, now. Oh, jeez. No, but I mean the the quality on my Sony. I paid I paid eight hundred for my Sony TV and four hundred for my LG, and this was several. This was a couple of years ago, so obviously prices have gone down for those size of televisions. But the the quality on my Sony television is is noticeably higher than that on my LG. Sure, no, I I would agree with you that like when I bought a PlayStation Three, and now granted I I had an original sixty gig unit, like I loved that thing, but six hundred dollars like that was an idiot's price, and no, the, it, hey, it, for it. <laughs> it it was five hundred ninety nine U S dollars. I'm I'm sorry, Kaz. I feel bad now. <laughs> so I, uh, but it, I, I was happy with that purchase because I mean I did feel like I was getting a premium product, and I will say that like if I take the difference between the PlayStation 3 that I had to buy later because the 60 gig broke and the 60, 60 gig original, the 60 gig original had more stuff. Like it had more USB ports. It it had the backwards compatibility yeah. PlayStation I, 2. Like I love my 60 gig unit. I can see it right now. It's shiny. Yeah, just uh, make sure you back that thing up because most 60 gigs are tending to die. So oh, mine's, mine's been good for, you know, seven years now. Just saying, we had three die in the dorm, dude. I'm just, I'm just warning you. Like, back it up. That's all I gotta say. But I've, I've got nothing on there that needs to be backed up. Everything's cloud saves for me. Nice. PlayStation Plus, yo. Hey, hey, they made a good argument for buying PlayStation Plus during their press conference, giving you free games and whatnot. I mean, oh well, yeah. So we, we've gotten way, so way I, off I, track. It, well, that's the nature of E3, dude. There's I guess stuff to I, talk I guess about. The, the last thing I'll say about Sony is that you know, like their bottom line as a company, and this is again not just the Vita. This is kind of everything. Their bottom line as a company is they have been posting multi-billion-dollar losses. Oh, you know, for, for the last couple of years, you know, like, and I mean, they're, they're, they're having quarters where they're losing over $300 million in a single quarter right now. So like as a company, I'm, I'm very curious to see what they do with the Vita and with like some of their other products, because I think that they're trying to, they've been, they've been so dominant as placing themselves as a premium product for so long, but what seems to work for Apple, which is placing yourself a premium as a premium product and not budging from kind of that you know price point, it doesn't seem to be working for Sony because there seems to be so much more competition that's working against them. And yeah. I can't if I could explain why I would you know work for Sony, but I can't. So like, so, but, but I mean, it just it, it just seems to be the way it is. And the, right now they're just they're hemorrhaging money, you know. So. It, the fact that even in spite of the fact that they are hemorrhaging money, they won't draw, do a Vita price drop, it tells you something about their kind of corporate mentality here. They don't want to move down into like you know into it. They don't want to ever be a second tier product because it's really hard to go from second tier to first tier again. Yeah. 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 So. 
All right, do we want to get back to the RPGs? Yes. Um, so, do we want to talk Elder Scrolls? Oh, boy. Uh, can we talk about the good first? Because anytime that I see, you know, vampire lords, I'm happy. Yeah, no, Dawnguard looked great. I mean, it's it's somewhere between a full-fledged expansion pack and a DLC pack. You know, it's it's 20-some-odd hours. They said 10 to 20. Which means about 5. No, right, I don't the way you and I play, John. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, no, if you're just getting gun through the story, I'm sure you can do it in no time flat. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it's fun, kind of. It's It adds uh, perk trees to vampires and werewolves. Oh, cool. So um, you can be Team Edward or Team Jacob. That's great. Yes. Um, the, the only thing that I found a little bit awkward was, was vampire lords have two different modes where they have uh, melee mode and magic mode. And you have to click in. I don't know how it works on PC. We played on 360. But you have to click in the left analog stick to swap between them. And just kind of awkward. And the same, and the much like werewolves, it forces you to a third person view. Mm. Um, it really didn't, it wasn't really much of an issue. Like, it was functional, just like the third person view is functional as a werewolf. Um, but no, it's fun. I mean, you get. You get your abilities based on how vampire-y you are. So if you continue to eat people and, and you know, do vampire-y things, you get more vampire powers. Hooray. Can we get the True Blood soundtrack in there? No. Sorry, I, it's a, sorry, it's the summer, and, you know, it's time for True Blood. So. I, 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 I don't know any of those television shows. Oh, fine. The kids uh, are into True Blood, right? Yeah, the kids, the kids okay. love the True Blood because it's basically porn on HBO. Yeah. Right. But, We're still hip. We're still uh, Yeah, the, yeah. Uh, yeah. The vampires are not sparkly. Thank God. Is there a new area? Like, there's a new environment? Yes. Like... So, actually, you go through an Oblivion Gate at some point and do part of your stuff in, like, this netherworldy area, which I don't remember the name of. Is it just called the Netherworld? No. Uh, okay. But, no, it's, I mean, I, I got maybe 20, 20, 30 minutes of playthrough with it. Um I, unfortunately, I died halfway through, and the beta didn't checkpoint me. Ooh. So it was like, oh, they just tossed me back to the beginning of the demo. <laughs> um, did they announce a price for it? Yeah, it's 20 bucks. Okay, that that seems reasonable. I mean, if it's no, you know, around around the size of an expansion pack, I'm okay with that. So, I mean, it, it, it adds... It adds what you would expect an expansion pack to add. We've debated this before on the show, and I, I know, John, you're, you're going to get mad at me right now, and I, I apologize in advance for that. Don't we think it's a little late? Like, Again, again, no, it's not. I, it's, it's been out. Rob, I know, I know that, that you get bored of stuff really quickly, but for, for me, like this is a, okay, I can go back to, to Skyrim. I enjoyed Skyrim. I've now had a chance to kind of rid my system of Skyrim, and I can go back. It's like going to the buffet. It's like you go to the buffet, and then afterwards you feel like crap, and you're like, I can't believe I ate the whole thing. (laughs) And then like four or five months later, you're like, oh, man, you know what would be awesome? If I went to the buffet, and the cycle continues like that. I can see that, um, but I I still... I can definitely see that argument. I don't know where most consumers lie. I think you and I very much differ in that area. Like you're very much a, hey, I want to play that game. You know, again, you rid your system of it. I'm like, I, I want to get the most out of it right at that time. I don't know where consumers lie on that. I'm just, you know, I don't know. 
I worked at GameStop for a long time. Fans of games are going to be fans of games. Like here, Rob, question for you. Yes, I'm buying that expansion pack for Dark Souls. Yes. Okay. Shut shut the hell up. Okay. <laughs> point taken, John. Okay. I, that just proved my point. Yes. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. So um, maybe it's just the fact that I wasn't huge into Skyrim that that's. Yeah, no, it, cool. it really comes down to how big of a fan are you of that game? Okay. No, that's fair. That's fair. But you liked it. You liked what you saw. So. Yeah. I mean, it it's an expansion pack. It's just what you would expect an expansion pack to be. It's not my my most ex, the expansion pack I'm most excited for right now. Uh huh. But it's an expansion pack. Okay. Cool. Uh, what about that? other elder all right the elder scrolls online um i I was really really diplomatic in my preview (laughs) um it looks really generic and you know what that might actually work for it people love the elder scrolls skyrim looks really generic oblivion looked really generic morrowind looked really generic I, i i don't know about arena and whatever the first one was um i mean it it's not as if Skyrim is a or not Sky, it's not as if the Elder Scrolls is a world that's that's known for being super original. True. And you know what? It, it the the Elder Scrolls Online looks like it has some interesting concepts in the way that things will work. Um, and I think it's almost like Rift in that it's pulling elements from everywhere elsewhere in the MMO world to put it together in a cohesive package. And that might work for it. It worked for Rift. Okay. I'm starting to wonder if this MMO space is just going to be a matter of timing. I run out, you know. I I think that that we're actually I I don't think that it's going to be a bubble that's going to burst, but I do think that the entire genre is starting to contract. I think you're right. I mean, uh, we we've kind of seen it a little bit when they talk about the uh, numbers for Old Republic, like. I mean, I'm I'm not sitting here saying that Old Republic is a failure, but I, I we That's haven't. That's not seen... what you said in the pre-show warm-up. Okay, well, I didn't. I did not say failure. <laughs> Thank you very much. I did not say failure, but I do think that you know, hey, they had this great launch and everybody was really interested in their game, and it was like, ooh, la di da, this is great, and now it's like, well, who's playing it now? And I'm playing it. Well, uh, Dave, that's great. How's your experience going with that? Uh, eh. Kind of like you described. I mean, it's it, it, these are all fair points. The game is, uh, you know, when I reviewed the game, uh, I, I wished I could have given it two scores, one for the single-player experience and one for the multiplayer experience. They, they have a very good single-player game that a lot of people happen to be playing. And right now, they're I think they're realizing, they're recognizing they're going to need to do some things to make the game feel more... Uh, more like an MMO and make it feel like it's a living, vibrant world where you're playing with a lot of other alongside a lot of other people. But, you know, they're doing things like free character transfers to consolidate the servers because they've had so much subscriber attrition that well, you know, sometimes you're logging in and not seeing anybody else. But I just wonder if it's a little too late. I really do. Well, that, I mean, that's that that particular thing is not something that's new to MMOs. I mean, server can I mean, that that's existed just about in any any MMO ever has had some kind of contraction. I do agree that it's it's fairly early for this kind of contraction. Uh-huh. I think also that the contract that it's just so much more noticeable in Star Wars: The Old Republic because they intentionally did things like shard the servers to try and keep the play experience 
very fluid to try and keep lag down to try and make it feel like you are the most important guy in the in that universe. Okay, but, Dave, Dave, you got to help me out there a little bit. Shard the servers. Uh, I'm sorry. Not... So what they're doing is is if you log on and there are too many, you know, they basically set a limit on how many players they want you to be able to interact with or see at once. Oh, okay, okay. That, so, way, that way you don't get slowed down by having them running around on your yeah. screen and things so like that. If, if there's 50 people on for Empire on Alderaan, it's going to create a new instance of Alderaan for the next people that go into that zone. Right. Okay, okay. That's very similar to what they're doing in, um, in Guild Wars 2. Yes. Very, very similar. Yes. I'd say it's almost exactly like it. And, and the problem is, is that when you already have a small, uh, you know, kind of a reduced size population, there are times when you're logging on and you'll maybe, you'll see up in the upper left-hand corner how many people are there with you. There'll be eight people. And you're like, that's not a lot of people. What that's not exactly there? massively multiplayer. No, not at all. And, you know, I think those numbers are starting to go up. You know, I logged in the other day and I had, there were like 60 people. Okay. But it's still... Even even that much is not that much. So, and and another thing there is is that necessarily you know the, could that be game publication or could it also be the way that they're handling the game? I mean, it's there's no there's no hub zone, right? And and it's not like okay, <clears throat> yeah, there's well there's the fleet, but that really doesn't count because you can pretty much do everything that you want to do from any planet. Which is honestly a great thing from a player perspective, but it does make your world feel more empty because it's not like logging into World of Warcraft and going to Stormwind or Ogremar or whatever, depending on what faction you are. Very true. Because, you know, you know you, in World of Warcraft, you go to uh, Stormwind and it's like, oh, wow, look at all of these people. And the fleets, the fleets, like you said, they are as close as you're going to get to the hub. And yeah, you really don't need to necessarily go there. And I think that some of the new stuff that they were working on, some of the stuff they announced, you know, at E3 that they were working on and doing the big group finder and things like that. These are all good ideas yeah. that are going to help I, people group up. But I just wonder. I, I, I don't know why they didn't put a group finder in at the very beginning, considering I literally did none of the dungeons. Because yeah, it was too difficult to find a group. I mean, I did a couple of them just because I had to, you know, for the purposes of the review. But you really got to go out of your way. You know, you got to you've got to be that guy that's like basically like whispering to every single person, like all other every other everybody else in the room with you, you know, to try and it, find somebody who'll do it. it. It reminds me of Final Fantasy 11 because I remember sitting as a monk and being looking for group, you Tonga jungle for <laughs> You know, literally hours on end, getting a group, losing 4,000 experience because I died and ending up a lower level than I started. Now, they've already said, I forget who said it, but somebody from Bioware, or maybe it was EA, said, oh, yeah, we're already starting to think about uh, free-to-play for uh, Old Republic. Yeah, in fact, at this, I believe that at this point already, you can play for free up to level 15. Yes. And... The the idea there is to you know try and you know first hits free yeah type first, first so, hits free now, kids I, I, now this I, is not a, this has been done in other games sure sure so, but now, I I don't necessarily Rob you just said free to play like it was a a awful thing like the no play. no 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 yeah. no no no, no. I, the, that that came out way worse I, I understand that lots of games have gone free to play I think it's kind of surfi- surprising they're already talking about that this early in the game's life cycle I think I that's a problem. Yeah, I think it is surprising this early. 
yeah, like I, of course, Old Republic is going to go free to play at some point. But for them to already start talking about it now, I mean, that's basically a tacit admission of, yeah, we done messed up. Oh, well, I think that that uh, the subscription model certainly has contracted more quickly than the whole genres bubble. Mm-hmm. You know, consider this: Sony Online no longer has any subscription games once Vanguard goes free to play. You know, these are the guys who were once the vanguards of. Uh, haha, they have a game called. Well Vanguard. played, sir. <laughs> <laughs> they were once the vanguards of the subscription MMO with Ultima Online and. Uh, or not Ultima Online, that's that's EA. I'm. Derp, derp. Uh, with EverQuest and. Uh, EverQuest 2 and EverQuest and EverQuest. <laughs> <laughs> um, really just EverQuest, but. You know, it's it's more and more companies are are going free to play. You know, you look at Nexon and Nexon posts huge margins on their games. And I think that that kind of a triple A AAA title going free to play is not necessarily a bad thing. A going free to play this early. Yeah, you can argue that. But Age of Conan, Lord of the Rings Online. Um, I'm missing one. Um there, there, there was another AAA MMO that went free to play within like two years of its launch. Star Trek Online. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what I would see as a, a truly negative thing is if they did what Final Fantasy XIV did, which was, oh crap, our game sucks. You can just play for free, forever, for a while. Yeah, <laughs> until we get our act. Oh, it was like a year and a half or something like that. Yeah. That's a really bad sign. But um, so so bringing us back around to um, Elder Scrolls Online, like you know, the first time they showed that game, you know, it basically looks you know like World of Warcraft, and it's going to be a cooldown placed MMO. Well, and they, just, actually, they, they said that that they were trying to have a more action oriented combat system. It wasn't let's wait for cooldowns. Sure, but now. What do we play the Elder Scroll games for? We play them for immersion and storytelling. Well, and and those are things that you play Elder Scrolls for. Story. I got I to step back. You play Elder Scrolls for storytelling. Well, I hope for interesting stories, and sometimes <laughs> I get them. But I, I play for the immersion factor, and I think one of those two can be done with an MMO. I think the storytelling can possibly be done. I think Old Republic has shown us that, but. I think a lot of dude bros play Skyrim. I mean, kids in the dorm play Skyrim because it's like, look what all I can do in this world. I can screw around with it. It's a big open sandbox. And, like, they're kind of not going to be able to do that. You know what? It, it, they've even cut back there significantly since Morrowind. Sure, you know, sure. In Morrowind, you could create a magical item that gave you 5,000% speed and made you fly. That game I need to play. <laughs> I need to go back and no, play like, Morrowind. I, you know what? My my dad, um, who happy Father's Day, um, even though he doesn't listen to the podcast, but uh, it yeah, it, it's Father's Day when we're recording this. But he's at Legoland with the grandkids. But uh, he kids. no, I don't have kids. Okay, I was gonna my say. brother's kids. Okay, but uh, he he would be like John, come here! I made this great item, and he'd show me something that did something absolutely crazy. <laughs> and he, like he would do that. He played that guy must have played Morrowind for for a thousand hours. And I'm not being uh, hyperbolic there. Yeah. And I think that uh, you're right that they've cut down on that significantly. You know, Skyrim is not nearly as open ended as Morrowind or, or Oblivion in that in a lot of ways. But 
I just don't know what they're trying. To me, this game is striking six years too late. This game is the response to, wow, look at that World of Warcraft. Make some money. I want some of that money. And they were just really freaking late getting to the party. Like the party has been over since it is now Sunday morning. That party happened on Friday and it feels like they're showing up way too late to be relevant. And, you know, I, I just don't understand what they're doing. Like I'm, I'm shocked by it. Well, I, you know, what I, I agree in some ways. You know, I, I do think that they're at a point where they're they're looking at a market that's not where it was when they started the game. Because you know, I, this is an MMO that looks like it's releasing next year, which means it's been in development for probably five years. I think you that's know, fair. That's fair. You know, so they're they're looking at a completely different market than it was from what they started. But, you know, putting in another year of work to have a completed product to put on the market and make some of your money back versus nothing. Well, yeah, that's an easy decision to make. Sure, sure, sure. I mean, the, the product is definitely going to go out there. I mean, uh, I think on one of the podcasts I listened to, I think it was 8-4 Play, they talked about, oh, are we going to get Last Guardian? And one guy was like, yeah, we're definitely going to get Last Guardian because they need to make some money back. Like, may not be a great game when it comes out, but they're going to make some money back on it. They're going to release it. And, you know, I, I just think that if Bethesda was smart, and they are smart guys. We know they're smart guys. They make great products. They would sit down and go, huh, we need to distinguish this game from the rest of the MMO pack. I mean, Terra has its combat. Guild Wars has its free roam, has the uh, free roaming quest system. It seems like this game is going to have that three faction system, which could be something really special. It's very uh, Asheron's Call, I believe. Did I get the reference right for the old people in the room? With with factions, I, yes. Yes. Okay. Asheron's call. Wait, no, Dark, Dark Age Camelot. Damn. Oh, that's it. Yeah. Dang it. All right. Fair enough. I got close. I got call close. Uh, and and so they may hit on something really special there, and that's what they need to be showing. They they need to show what distinguishes this from other MMOs, because I think World uh, Old Republic has kind of shown that even with a mega IP like Star Wars, and let's not argue whether or not Star Wars is still a mega IP, let's assume for you know sake of argument that it is. Uh, there, there's no argument there. Like it's... Well, some people say that you know the whole franchise has been sullied and it's not ever going to reach the heights that it used to be, whatever. It, no, yeah, no, no, it, from a business perspective, I think... Uh, yeah, that, you don't get like, much bigger. Argument, yeah. So I, I just think that if that game is struggling a little bit, I think Elder Scrolls is in a lot of trouble. I guess. I guess I'd be interested to see what type of money they're spending. I mean, one thing, you know, one thing we don't cover on RPG Fan, just how many little free-to-play MMOs there are out there. And, and There's they a survive for MMO years, and they make money. They make profit. Yeah. You know? And, like, you know, we look at – you know, you might look at them and say these games are pretty stupid, but – so people are playing them and they're making money. Yeah. I think the difference is that like, you know, something like Knights of the Old Republic, you know, that cost allegedly $200 million to make. I mean, that's where you're really putting a lot of eggs in that basket. You know, I'd, I'd be interested in like, you know, Elder Scrolls Online is the same type of thing. You're expecting a triple A product. So I, I do agree that like, you know, I almost feel like you have to do something to distinguish yourself. And I'm wondering what that is. Uh, you know, with that much money at stake. I think we need to have Dave on the podcast more because I love his business perspective. 
<laughs> Sorry. Like uh, we we have a very interesting <laughs> dynamic here. We have we have a teacher, a, a web design guy, uh, a student, and a businessman. Like <laughs> I I feel like we're a party from Chrono Cross. Like I'm just massively <laughs> confused right I want to be Robo. <laughs> you are not. <laughs> Chrono Cross now Chrono Chrono Cross. I want to be Robo. Chrono Cross, you die. Spoilers. I want I want to be Robo. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. All right, I'll be Magus and just hate on everything. All right. Uh, let's let's move on. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Persona 4 Golden. Yay! Um, so we were talking about the Vita earlier. Um, did you like Persona 4? Damn straight I did. All right. It's Persona 4 with more stuff and a whole bunch of really cool extras. Like you can unlock, uh, what was it? Uh, like music, vi- not music videos, but like recordings of concerts that they did of, of Persona music in Japan and commercials from Japan and lots of stuff from Japan. Um, I'm seeing a theme. And well, Atlas said that they intend to, to localize everything that is possible for them to localize there. So, um, so I'm, I mean, there's really not much to go into here. If you don't know about persona four, go to RPG fan, click reviews, go to PlayStation Two, read one of the persona four reviews. Um, we like it. Yeah, it's it's a fantastic game. One of the best uh, RPGs from Japan over the past few years. Um, and it's it's prettier on Vita. And it's got more content. And yeah, I mean, what Difficult more could you ask for? Yeah, it, yeah, it's a great game. Uh, you know, and, and speaking of SMT, I am playing Nocturne. And I will be able to talk about that on the next podcast. So Ooh. little little hint there of things to come. And we're, I'm going to go off the uh, the RPG train a little bit while we're on Persona and talk about Persona 4 Arena. Yeah, uh, yeah the fighting game. Um, okay, so my last question was, do you like Persona 4? My next question is, do you like Blaze Blue? <laughs> uh, if I can under... Blaze Blue to me was like trying to learn calculus. I was just like, oh my god, I'm so confused, but I'm having fun. Okay, then you will be confused and having fun with persona for arena it's it's made by arc system works which are the blaze blue guys um it's got crazy crap going on with all your favorite persona characters um okay, and I'm teddy yes i do believe teddy yes. is in- um it's got characters for both persona 3 and persona 4 yuki chan's uh, in danger see, see? <laughs> that was eerie <laughs> was, was that good or was I that thought it was pretty good like I got mad, so it was good. Persona <laughs> <laughs> oh, Four Arena. It's like learning calculus with Rob. I think they've got a tagline. Yeah. So it's it. You know, it's it's pretty much Blaze Blue with a. Now, when I say it's like Blaze Blue, it actually has different underlying system. It's not like they took the Blaze Blue engine and stuck Persona, uh, you know, art on it. It it is a brand new fighting game, but. You know, much like when you play, you know, games from Capcom fighting games, they tend to play pretty similarly, even if they have different gameplay systems. If you play fighting games from Namco, even if they have new gameplay systems, they play pretty similarly. Same deal here. You're playing another you're playing another Arc System Works games. It plays pretty similarly to Blaze Blue, even though it's got different systems. Cool. Cool. Are we going to cover it or no? No, it is. It is. Not under RPG fan coverage. Um, apparently, it's got a pretty uh, hefty story mode, though. Uh, Atlas said it's their their largest localization project in regards to voice acting. Wow, that's saying something. Holy crap! 
So, yeah, I'm I'm really interested to see it. I mean, it's it's something that's definitely going to appeal to fighting game fans and RPG fans, and there seems to be a pretty fair overlap there. So, yay, more Persona. Yay. Uh, can I complain about uh, David Cage's new game? Are we going to cover no. that? Oh. We, we'll probably end up covering it because it's a, an adventure game. But in regards to you asked me, can I complain about that? And I'm telling you, no. Okay. It, it did look interesting. It's great to have Ellen Page, you know, getting work and uh, basically being hired to say nothing for three minutes worth of a demo. But, you know, hey, that's that's cool. I'm not working for Sony, so I, I, don't, I don't make decisions for them. So. Yay. Um. Let's go on. Dave and I actually saw Virtue's Last Reward, a little bit of it. Yes. Uh, which is the, the 3DS uh, and Vita sequel to 999. Yes! Um, guess what? It's like 999, except... <laughs> the, pretty, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I, I, I don't know, really. The, we can't go and be like, oh my god, check out this new gameplay thing. Or, or it, It's got 3D rooms as opposed to 2D backdrops. Um. Yeah, that was like the one change that I noticed yeah. in the gameplay. You can kind of drag the stylus around to look around. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a visual novel. It's not as if they have these brand new gameplay systems every time around. Um, it, it's based around uh, kind of the prisoner's dilemma and, and game theory, where kind of you, you're partnered up with someone and you can choose to betray them. They can betray you or you can both work together. And kind of there's a point system. Uh, we, they, they didn't go into great detail. It's something that, that I have a feeling will be explored in the game much better than I can explain it here. But pretty much if you betray too much or, you, or something like that, you die. Cool. Much, like, much like how you would blow up in 999 for whatever reasons. I'm okay with this. Like it's, we're excited to see it. Hopefully, one thing that that I know a lot of people liked about 999, but I was not so fond of. Um, I would like to to be able to kind of skip segments that I've already played. Oh uh, yeah, that that was a little annoying in that game. And when I say a little annoying, I mean actually a lot annoying. Yeah, I know that you could skip through the dialogue and have it go really fast, but I'd rather just say, "Take me to the next choice." Yeah. But I'm excited for that, and that's going to be 3DS and, uh, and Vita. And Vita, so that's awesome. <clears throat> so, um, oh, I guess sorry, I got the name slightly wrong. I called it Virtue's Last Reward. It's Zero Escape, Virtue's Last Reward. And what do we think it's going to be called in America? Smile Family, Wish Time, Happy Hour. No, 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 that's, what it is. <laughs> that's no, 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 that is the North American. Name. Oh God. The, uh, <laughs> the North Amer- or the Japanese name was Good People Die. I think that's a better title, that's actually. Way better name. Oh, I'm sorry. It was it was extreme escape adventure. Good people die. Okay, get rid of the extreme escape adventure, which makes it sound like they're going to make a series of these. Like, very yeah, you're going to make a series of the. Are they going to call it Saw eventually and just keep <laughs> retconning the crap out of it until it makes absolutely you, less sense than a Kingdom Hearts game? No, you know what? Honest to God, I I've played the Saw games, and while they're not horrible, they're not great either. I I would love to see the Chunsoft guys make like a Saw game. Oh God! They got the chops for it. You know, I what really makes me sad is we didn't get the one uh, Chunsoft visual novel for Wii, which got straight tens from Famitsu in Japan. Yeah, but so did like Final Fantasy twelve. 
But yeah, well, I like Final Fantasy XII. Yeah, I, know you I like Final Fantasy XII. Final Fantasy XII is okay. It's probably not straight. Yeah, hey, you know what game is is okay? Dark Souls. That game is uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. It, I will not have you speak poor of it. It's okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I I recognize that that game exists, but I don't think it was my savior. Oh God, Philistines, all of you. <laughs> Okay. Ooh, right. ooh, can I talk real quickly about Record of Argrest War Two? Sure. Which, yes. Yeah, only because only because it's got the it probably had the funniest uh, special edition pack in. All right, like the limited edition when that comes out. This is basically a sequel to the already uh, uh, Record of Argrest War. Um, it's about as uh, it's about as like your your classic kind of tactical RPG type thing. Um, but the, one of the things that comes with it, one of the things you can do in the game is you can uh, try to court, you know, various uh, ladies, of course, in the game. And like when you marry them, then you have kids and you go across multiple generations. Well, the limited edition comes not just with a large art book, not just with a heart shaped compressed towel. All right. That inflates oh. when you put it in the water, but it comes with a blow up doll of one of the female characters. Oh. Now, when, when they say blow up doll. It's actually uh, like a, it's like four or five inches tall. It, it's not a it's not like full size thing, but still, you can you can go out and get a game. You know, in a couple of actually coming out to it comes out pretty soon here. Yeah, like I think it's twenty uh, six. Yeah, probably probably when you listen to this, it's about a week from when you listen to it. So. Uh... I just had to mention that because that was my favorite. Uh, I got the biggest chuckle out of that particular limited edition. Yeah. Uh, one other game from Axis is they announced Ragnarok Tactics, um, which is pretty much Final Fantasy Tactics, but with Ragnarok classes. Um, coming out really late. It's in November, and it's a PSP game. Ooh. Um, so oh. I, we're, I'm interested to see it. I mean, I like my tactical RPGs, it, It's, but I think that's, that, that's kind of a... a not the best platform and time. But you can still play PSP games on Vita, right? You just have to, like, I, download I, them from the store. Right? As long as they are... Um, as long as they're actually made for to work with Vita. Not every huh? PSP game is on the Vita store. Uh, see, that I gotta say, that's one of the reasons I don't want to pick up... I'm so sick and tired of having to look at Wikipedia now, articles to see if something will work on my system that I'm just it, like, I don't want to do that well, anymore. You know, it's... It, more and more games come out every week that they make work with it. Um, it, it is frustrating. Like, Gungnir, which just came out this last week, which I am behind on my review for, and I apologize to all of our readers. Um, Gungnir, the digital version, does not work on the Vita. Now they they say that hopefully it will soon. So, what do they have to do? Just rewrite aspects of the code? Or? You know what? I I honestly don't know. I mean, the Vita is essentially running a PSP emulator. Yeah, so, that's why I'm kind of surprised that they need to do that. So. Well, no, but well, the emulators are funky things. Like you, well, they have access to the BIOS and all that, and and all the. I'm sure that they've got the libraries built into the Vita, but. I don't know. There, it's finicky because it's not the same hardware, you know. It's right. Not going... My question is, if this one thing that Microsoft really got right, and here I go doing the business thing again. One thing <laughs> that Microsoft got really, really got right with the Xbox 360 was that if you designed your game using you know DirectX libraries and things like that, 
it could run on the PC under Windows, and it could run on Xbox with a minimum of effort. Yeah, and and they did the same thing with even their their indie games. Their their indie games run yeah. the XNA platform, which is is you know it, it's exactly. it's DirectX with the additional libraries. But that is something that's good, and I think just, that that I guess I just that, wonder, you know, Sony has full control over both of these platforms. Why it's so difficult, you yeah. know? I mean, obviously, you know, you're not going to be able to just do multiple systems like that with no changes at all. It's unrealistic. But I just wonder why it's so tricky. Well, I, you know, I think it was the same with the PlayStation 2 to the PlayStation 3, where they changed the architecture for right. whatever reason. You know, the the 60 gig that I've got sitting here actually has the PlayStation 2's video card in it. Yeah, it has the freaking Emotion Engine built in. You know, it's it's right. got the entire PlayStation 2 chipset in it, and that's why it it plays PlayStation yeah. 2 games. That's not emulation. That's called it's got PS2 guts in it. Yeah. So, so. you know, I know they changed stuff up with the Vita, but I don't know. It's you know what? There's still just about every RPG that you would want is available on Vita mm-hmm. in the store, as long as it was available on the PSP store, because there are a couple of Square games that are are missing from that, but. No, I, I just hate this stuff. I hate having to look online. Does this work? Can I buy this online? Like, again, this is why I'm going like PC well, it's, it's like crazy. It, it, it's really easy, actually, if you want to figure out if you can buy a game on the Vita, on your Vita. You just go into the store and see if it's there. Okay, that's that isn't so bad. Because it, it, it's not like you can buy a game on your Vita that doesn't work on your Vita. The actual the store filters it down to only games that work on the Vita. Okay. So um, I've got one last game to talk about, and I know that we're we're coming up on on time here soon. Uh, and I know Dave wanted to go to 38 Studios is, um, and I, I've got to pause to make sure that I get this name right. Penny Arcades on the Rain Slick Precipice of Darkness Three. I think you got it right. Yes, I did. Which is amazing. So, um, for anyone who's unfamiliar with the Penny Arcade on the Rain Slick Precipice of Darkness games, they the original two were developed by Hothead and were fairly standard RPGs, but they were written by the Penny Arcade guys. Had the art style, they were very funny, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Hothead decided that the game, I don't know if it was because uh, they, they did fully 3D games. I don't know if it was because it wasn't profitable for them or whatever. They chose not to go beyond the second game. Uh-huh. Um, and so around the time that Zeboid Games published Breath of Death 7, uh, they were approached by the, the fine guys at Penny Arcade, and they said, we want a 16-bit number three Penny Arcade game. And Zeboid said, okay. And that's and what makes them awesome. Yes, well, there's only two of them, so it's not as if there was a bunch of decisions, you know, it's not like, well, we need to talk to corporate, you know, Bill talked to uh, to Robert, and they agreed. They, so they could it's, have talked to Robert and agreed. You're, you're not the right Robert. <laughs> but, uh, no, actually, uh, Robert Boyd's a great guy. I actually got to meet him for the first time. He used to post on our boards a lot. He's a huge RPG fan. And actually, that that shows in his games. The the battle system in the new game is kind of a, a turn-based Grandia-style system where it's got a... It takes however long for your your action to come forth. And you can interrupt people while they're in the middle of taking an action and all that kind of fun stuff. 
but the the game is is very very funny as you would expect um Robert's other games, uh, Breath of Death 7 and Cthulhu Saves the World, were both kind of parodies of the uh, the RPG genre as a whole. And in the same way, that's what uh, what Penny Arcade is, except it's built in this 1920s Penny Arcade world that runs parallel. And it's, uh, it's, it's good. I mean, it's very funny. They had Jerry Holkins, who's the writer uh, of the comic, come in work with uh work with robert on the dialogue and you know it, it's good we've actually uh we'll, we'll have a review of that um when the game is released it was actually pushed up it was originally supposed to come out in july it's coming out uh the 25th now of june so it, that that's one of the nice things about having kind of an indie studio is they they were surprised by the lack of bugs they found in the final build so they are polishing it up and releasing it all right i mean i'm excited Sweet. for that game I, I didn't play the other two titles uh but i really like the zaboid games i think they have good ideas and i'm willing to play that yeah. so yeah all right do we want to talk about the debacle now right after yes. i say real quick that torchlight 2 was my favorite game at e3 <laughs> and when it comes out go. everybody should get it done here we go no he he did it right <laughs> that, that no 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 that Rob was like Dark Souls, Dark Souls, Dark Souls for hours on end, and Dave is just like, "Yeah, you know that Torchlight game? You should get it. I'm happy with that. We can move on." <laughs> well, that cost you as much as that Elder Scrolls expansion. <laughs> I I gotta say, like, uh, you know, I've been playing a lot of Diablo three, like lots and lots of Diablo three, and I gotta say that until they do some heavy duty balancing like i'm getting to the point where i really don't want to play anymore like i've gotten to the advanced difficulty levels i'm seeing the significant problems with their balancing and it it's really not been fun like once you hit hell mode in that game it's not only that the game gets hard the game's not fun anymore like you you will run into encounters with enemies that you literally can't kill and with a game that's very based around loot and around numbers, you're not going to get past those areas. And I got to say, I'm a, I'm a little annoyed with Diablo 3 right now, so maybe it's time to join up with the uh, Torchlight hype train. There's plenty of plenty of room for both. I think they appeal to different is. audiences. And I think that's what's going to make, you know, Torchlight 2 is sticking with some of the old school stuff, you know, that make the... I mean, again, this you could make the argument that Torchlight was the real sequel to Diablo 1 and 2 since those were the designers, you know, so they're kind of sticking with uh, the model that they are that's worked for them yeah, and I, adding some more features and adding multiplayer. I mean, it's it's really a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, I, and don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I, I think Dave's right. I think there's room for both games, but it, Diablo 3, based off of, you know, what they've said and, you know, the, their next big patch is coming out soon – they have a lot of work to do with that game because it's it's getting to the point where it's unplayable for me and I'm not having fun. There's a very big difference between making something challenging and making it just like, wow, this is getting sick. And they're approaching that with me right now. And I, I've gotten to the point where I'm not really enjoying my time playing the game. Can't and you I, just buy yourself like a new it it doesn't okay so uh full transparency here this entire time i've been playing diablo so i uh, you know uh, i've i've actually gotten really good at being able to talk and play diablo at the same time it is not fun to run into enemies that 
have the ability to wall you in place, reflect damage, and insta-kill you in one shot. That's fun. And even though my damage output can be tremendously high, I may not be able to kill them fast enough. So it starts turning into like a... Uh, a big daddy scenario from the original Bioshock where it's like you go up, you do a lot of damage to it, you die, and then you run up to it again. It's recovered a little bit of health, but you then proceed to damage it some more, and it's a war of attrition, and eventually you kill it. And Diablo 3, when I reached hell mode, like I, I was having a blast with it through Nightmare, uh, through normal Nightmare. I reached hell mode, and that's what the game's turning into, and I'm getting really annoyed. Like it's. The difficulty spike has been insane, and from what people are telling me, they're like, huh, that's nothing. Wait till you get to Inferno, where the game's unplayable right now. And I gotta say, like, I'm kind of like, I might be done with Diablo 3 right now, until they make some significant balance changes. If they want to do that, so, hey. Yeah, it's, the modding community will take care of it. Oh, wait. Wait. Oh. <laughs> oh. That was a good oh, troll. Sorry. That was a good troll. That was a very good troll. I like that. But it's true. And they're they're the gatekeepers now, and you know I, I may not be game to keep playing their game the way it is right now. And I'm not saying that as a threat. I'm just saying like it doesn't hold a lot of appeal to me. It doesn't hold appeal to me to be killed with my demon hunter in one hit from almost every enemy in the game. And they're like, yeah, that's how we designed the demon hunter. Like what? Okay. So, Torchlight Two, awesome. Yes. I'm excited for it. Get it when it comes out. Is there a necromancer in it, please? Uh, I do not believe so. They actually have some weird, some neat, uh, weird, like, kind of hybrid classes. Quite a few of them. It's fun. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, was there any... For, for, for a 20 spot, it's really, uh, I guarantee you, you'll get your money's worth. Have they announced a date yet? No. Nah. In so the last, in the, kind of, we sat down and talked to them. They were saying they were looking at, what, late July, early September. Is that oh. correct, John? I think that uh, was said. Yeah, it's summer. Yeah. All right, so is it time to talk about 3.8 Studios? Sure, and this was an f- interesting topic to kind of ask people about, you know, kind of off the record on e- at E3. Uh, just because, you know, I mean, it was so close to E3 when all this stuff started blowing up with 3.8 Studios and the state of Rhode Island. And, you know, now there's a federal, uh, you know, inquiry going on uh, into the money. I mean, I guess we should start at the beginning, right? I mean, basically, Kurt Schilling, when he retired from baseball, was looking to start a game studio, and originally he was going to base it in Massachusetts. And part of that was he was hoping to get uh, economic development money and tax breaks from the state of Massachusetts to base his, uh, you know, his company there. This type of thing is not super unusual. Uh, pretty much every state in uh, the United States has some kind of economic development office. It's one of the very few ways that the government can actually like spend money directly like on job creation by basically being something like venture capitalists. I'm not leaving politics totally aside. This is just how it works. All right. And the Economic uh, Development Office of Massachusetts was not willing to basically give Kurt Schilling and 38 Studios everything they were asking for. But the state of Rhode Island, which has a very high unemployment rate, uh, you know, came in and said, hey, maybe this is our chance to kind of establish an East Coast uh, game development studio type of presence. You know, nobody really has it on the East Coast. It's all kind of on the West, and Canada's been doing a great job, like, luring game companies. Maybe we, maybe there's a market there that we can take advantage of. So the Rhode Island 
uh, Economic Development Corporation basically gave them a very attractive, uh, you know, guaranteed loan offer, uh, promised them a series of tax breaks, uh, things like that. And so Kurt Schilling basically had Massachusetts and Rhode Island bidding against each other and ended up in Rhode Island. All right. Um, then they started work developing the MMO. All right. You know, uh, the Project Copernicus, uh, which we'll now never see probably. The in the process of developing this game, they're basically developing that game with a combination of venture capitalism from, you know, unspecified venture capitalist firms, a combination of Rhode Island uh, money from the state of Rhode Island, money which is provided from state bonds that they issued, you know, for this purpose, that the bonds get purchased by private investors, by, uh, you know, money funds, things like that, and Kurt Schilling's own money. All right. <clears throat> and the game is developed over a couple of years, and then what happens is Big Huge Games looks like it's going to go under as THQ is having all these problems in 2009. So Kurt Schilling swoops in and 38 Studios swoop in and buy Big Huge Games from THQ. So they've already doubled down now kind of their investment without a product existing yet. So, I mean, I'm sure his accountants were probably, you know, weeping tears of blood over this, uh, over this type of risk. All right, but he was very confident, and the, the the idea was that since big huge games had already had a game engine, already had a game, all they needed to do was kind of you know retrofit it for the setting of Amalar, and it could be kind of an intro to Amalar and bridge the gap, you know, kind of introduce everybody to the game universe for when the MMO gets released. In at that time, they were thinking 2012. Turned out that wasn't going to be the case. Um, so what happens is the way the finance works in Video games is kind of interesting because, you know, you, you, you always see the publisher and the developer, you know, kind of on our game stats on RPG Fan. And publishers offer different kind of contracts. You can offer money up front, a fixed sum, all right, or you can offer a percentage of the profits and things like that. Uh, now we know from some of the public information that's been released that what happened is Big Huge Games and 38 Studios made a deal with EA where EA gave them uh, $35 million dollars. All right, for this basically a big lump sum up front for the publishing rights for Kingdoms of Amalar. There was a, they could make additional money if they sold more than, I think it was 3 million copies of the game, they would start getting a percentage of the sales. Basically, completely unrealistic number. Uh, you know, they were thinking that the 35 million will basically cover the cost, it may, uh, the cost to make this game, and then we'll continue making the MMO. I'm having a hard time figuring out how that math works because I don't know what it costs them to buy big, huge games in the first place. And considering the salaries of the various employees, it's hard to make that math make sense. But that is that was, in fact, the deal. They basically were paid $35 million from EA, and that was everything they made for Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning. Then, you know, you basically have a situation that comes up where the they, they can't pay a scheduled uh, – a scheduled payment to the state of Rhode Island. Typically, these type of things work where they're getting lent a, a bunch of money, and then what happens is you have to pay basically like a token amount back once in a while, just as part of the interest payment, and also as like a good faith payment. It was a small amount compared to the amount that they were being lent at that time. They were looking that they had to basically pay on schedule about $1.2 million back to the state of Rhode Island. They couldn't make this payment. Not only could they not make this payment, they then said, oh, We'll drive a check down to you. They hand deliver the check. The check bounces. 
All right. Mm-hmm. So now you've got now you've got the governor of Rhode Island, um, Lincoln Shaffey, who at this time, Lincoln Shaffey was very much against Rhode Island ever getting ever giving giving uh, 38 studios the tax breaks or the uh, loan in the first place back when they offered it. So he already has a bit of a uh, kind of a political interest in this because he took a big stance against it at the time of the deal. Now he's the governor. And he says, well, we need to open up, you know, you need to open up the books. What's going on here? Why can't you make the payment? A lot of statements get made about how the company can't pay, hasn't paid its employees in three weeks, all of which turn out to be true. You've got a situation where some employees can't, uh, you know, are going to end up with two mortgages if the company goes under because uh, the relocation company that had been hired by 38 Studios hadn't been able to sell some of the houses out on the West Coast that they moved from. Uh, for any anything resembling that what they paid for them, uh, and you know things basically start to spiral downward, and it becomes this war of words between uh, Lincoln Chaffee and the Economic Development Office and uh, Kurt Schilling. And what you've got now at this point is almost everybody that was involved in the Economic Development Corporation of Rhode Island at the time of the loan that was that the time of the loan was approved to Kurt Schilling and Thirty Eight Studios has resigned. You've almost got a clean slate now. You've got Lincoln Shaffey, who obviously has no interest in extending any additional credit. He's basically saying that he's not going to throw good taxpayer money after after bad. And Kurt Schilling claims that he stands to lose about $50 million of his own money. A federal investigation is now happening because Kurt Schilling and basically Citizens Bank made a personal loan to Kurt Schilling of a few million dollars. He's not able to pay that back. They're now suing him. And you've got a federal investigation coming in to see who was involved, what was the vetting process in the state of Rhode Island for getting the for approving these loans, uh, et cetera, et cetera. The losers in all this, obviously, are the people that didn't get picked up by Epic Mega Games. All right. Obviously, those those employees uh, former employees of big, huge games that didn't get picked up by them. They're kind of left holding the bag. And of course, um, to a certain extent, although not as much as is reported to a certain extent, the Rhode Island taxpayer, because basically if the game doesn't, if they don't make any money back, which it doesn't seem like they will, uh, the only thing that the state of Rhode Island now actually owns is the game assets, which on the open market are, are probably really not worth much of anything. Because you're going to have to pick them up and then hire a full staff and then, you know, try to uh, try to do something with this stuff. See, I one thing that I find interesting there is, and and I really, you have more information on this than I do in regards to the financial aspects. I I think that that you know, Amalur sold 1.2 million copies. Now, I think that probably the MMO assets are worthless, but I think that the game as a whole. Uh, or the, the rather the the uh, property as a whole might actually be worth something enough to recoup the costs. I'm sure no, but I'm, yeah, I mean, I guess what would you put a price? And this is where it's tricky. Is like what would you put a price tag at? See, and and that's what's tough. But you know what? The same thing happened uh, a couple of years back when Bethesda bought Fallout. Right. <laughs> you know, Fallout was essentially a dead franchise at that point. 
I, I mean, my head is just swimming right now because I, I do not understand economics, finances at all. Like I am a product of our current education system where we do not teach kids how to properly handle money and what it means to invest. Like I had no idea what a credit rating was until like five years ago. Like I had no idea what any of this stuff was. And I'm just baffled that something this bad could happen. The best case scenario, some analysts have put the like John is suggesting, some analysts have put the uh, the value of the MLR and you know kind of game universe at twenty million dollars. Oh, I think that's crazy. I don't think they're going to get anything close to that. Yeah, twenty million for that universe. I, but let's say they do. That barely begins to put a in what is now looking like anywhere estimates put it anywhere between seventy five and one hundred and ten million owed in loans at this point. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, even if you were to get what I think is a projection, this money's never coming back. It was just recently filed for bankruptcy protection. Right. Uh, this was just last week, I believe. And what this gives them is a, you know, a chance to try and like kind of get their house in order so that they don't get more lawsuits coming at them. But it's really, really a, a bad story. You know, no, if, you, if you're looking to see new AAA companies, it's probably not going to happen anytime soon anywhere, partially due to this fiasco. I think you're right. And you know, one of the big complaints coming out of E3 was, where's the new IPs? You know, we got a couple new IPs with, uh, you know, The Last of Us and uh, Watch Dogs, and there were a couple real standouts, but for the most part, there weren't. And people are like, well, why aren't they making new IPs? Because new IPs are risky. It's really risky to go out there and try to build a new IP. I mean, Ubisoft famously made Assassin's Creed into a mega franchise, but it took them the better part of two and a half, three years to do it by showing the game at E3, by getting people excited, by, you know, uh, a huge marketing blitz, by having a storyline that, you know, conveyed, you know, oh, what's really going on in this game? Well, we're not going to tell you. They had to market that game and spend years to get people excited to buy that title. Not a lot of companies have that luxury. And, you know, Amalur, I think, was a damn fine game. I really enjoyed it. But, you know, they were fighting an uphill battle right now. And I think for anybody to say, oh, it's real easy to go out and create new IP. No, it is remarkably difficult. I mean, there's a reason why (laughs) Blizzard has not made a new IP since what? Since... Starcraft like yeah. they, they have relied on their IP because I think Blizzard realizes that if the, like their new MMO Titan if that isn't connected with any of their universes that's a huge risk for them this for a second you're talking about a game that sold at least a million copies and wasn't profitable yeah it sell a million copies of anything I mean to have that, to have that type of success and still not actually have monetary success i mean that is a real hard sale yeah yeah well i I think it'll be really interesting to see what happens with the amalur franchise i think that there is a company out there that is willing to buy it but i think that it's probably going to take i don't know how long for because rhode island's probably going to say okay we will sell this franchise for x amount of dollars and it's going to be something obscene that no one in their right mind would pay for a franchise of that type yeah, and then it's going to come down and to something a little bit more reasonable, hopefully. I mean, I, I think your guess about Bioware picking it up, EA picking it up, that I think that could happen. Apparently, EA passed on uh, Amalur 2 
based on like internal uh, politicking. Wow, and that game was in development, correct? Yes, Emilor Two was the the sequel to the action to the action RPG. Yeah, Reckoning Two. Yeah, Reckoning Two. Yeah, that's that's a little bit easier. Yeah, man. Uh, well, on the plus side, that you know, we are keeping the big minds behind big huge games. You know, with with Epic Baltimore. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm really happy to see that a lot of people are getting picked up. I think the industry really stepped in in a good way to say, you know, hey, these are talented folks that need work. And, you know, they're going to build us good games. They're going to build us cool worlds. And, you know, that's what they're doing. And I, I think that's great. That's a solidarity in the video game community that is really, really special. And I hope they never lose that. I mean, there are it's like John has all, has said before, like nobody sets out to make a bad video game. Like you don't have a crew of people that's standing around going, how can we make this game really suck? Like, people are trying to do the best with what they have. I have a buddy who's made SpongeBob SquarePants games, and he's like, you don't even know how much we try to make these games good. And, you know, that's really hard. And I, I think that the industry needs to help each other when it comes to things like this. Speaking of folks at Big Huge Games, you just got to feel for them in the sense that this is now the second time in years that they've needed somebody to step in and, and save them. Yeah. And they're making terrible games. Yeah. Oh no, their games have all been fantastic. That's that's what's unbelievable about it. You know, you can still make good games and still fail. You know, in certain marketing aspects of the video game industry. You know, so it, it can be oh. tough. Well, we're losing Dave, so I think Again. I think with that we should probably uh, call it a day here. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the podcast, this E3 special. Uh, we're going to be returning in probably two weeks with another big show. I got Nocturne to talk about. Be excited. And I'm sure Stephen and I will have a lot more to say about Diablo 3. Hopefully we'll have a new patch Pokemon Nobunaga. Yeah, Pokemon Nobunaga. Like, we got good games coming out. The summer is upon us. And it is time to read and play games and be merry. And it is very exciting. Um, again, always uh, make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or the RSS feed. Send us that email we really like answering questions we didn't really have a good place to put it uh for the e3 show but we will definitely try to get to uh more email some uh, listener mail and uh answer some questions and hopefully uh rouse some good debates that so, is podcast at rpgfan.com the big man comes through so uh for everybody on the show we had so many people i can't even remember everybody uh thanks for listening and we'll see you all later